In five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the first episode of the Colorblind Chameleon. I'm your host Timothy Hain here, and today we have a very special guest, Trey Dubelchan. Thank you for coming, bro. Thanks for having me, man. It's so Trey's uh, the president of the Class of 2022 Physical Therapy Program at Loma Linda University, and also my partner. Um, I'm a VP, so he's a president. So how's it going, bro? It's good, man. First week of break, it feels nice, dude. Yeah, when is uh, your P ones are coming up, right? In two weeks. Yes, sir. December fourteenth. Fourteenth. So, do you have to work through um, the Christmas break or no? So they um, they gave me Christmas off already uh, because it, it, it's a Friday, so they already didn't have that on my schedule. And then they had Christmas Eve on my schedule, but my PT, my CI, happens to not work Thursdays oh. already, so I get that off too. So I'm really only working like eight days total, I think. Oh snaps! Yeah, well, that's fine. Don't worry, don't worry, guys. We're, we're getting the full experience, okay? <laughs> we're going to be great PTs. We're going to be great PTs. <laughs> yeah, I just got mine cleared just today. I start next week, next Monday. Oh, yeah. You're in San Diego, right? San Diego, yeah. The Sharp Grossmont. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, I have to send student health an email because I sent Lucero my flu shot, mm-hmm. my flu vaccine paperwork um, that I got done at Target for my P1. And she's like, oh, it's approved. Everything's good. But then student health sent an email out. For the people they didn't get a flu shot from, and I was on that list, so Dude. Lucero didn't send it to Student Health in time. Dude, you know, honestly, so no. like Loma Linda and uh, the, the the hospital or you know the clinic that you're working with, they don't communicate very well. Yeah, I have to fill out like 27 things. Among 27, 12 of them are orientation. Everything else, I have to manually upload all the immunization records. Yeah, I remember you were telling me that. Yeah, and, you know, pretty much last Tuesday before Thanksgiving break, actually last Monday, you know, they checked everything. They approved everything except three of them. They checked two of them saying, hey, we're not going to accept this, you know. And then they didn't tell me uh, the TB flu shot, the last one. Apparently, you need the doctor's note specifically stating that I do not currently have signs and symptoms of tuberculosis. My doctor wrote, you know, the note stating that, hey, my lungs are clear. There's nothing there. That wasn't enough. And they didn't check it on Monday. And they told me um, on Wednesday stating that, hey, we're not going to accept this one either. They could have just told me on Monday, you know, said, hey, you know, we're not going to accept this. You know, when they told me the other other two, the one that they rejected. So I was like, what the heck? So the day before Thanksgiving, like, I was like, yo, what is going to, what am I going to do? You know, how am I going to get these uh, uh, um, letters from my physician and stuff like that? And thankfully, um, he was in the clinic and he wrote, he wrote me. So, oh, cool. But I got home and I was going to upload it. And then because it's Thanksgiving, they took down the website. Oh. So that's why I just got approved yesterday. So I, uh, my CI. Sounds like he's a thousand years old. He sounds like a really nice guy, but like every time I talk to him, I'm just like, he has no idea You're just what's going on. Right? Yeah, ICU, eight bed ICU, and he was telling me that I don't know if it's for notes or what it's for, but he was saying like I need to email because when Lucero sent me my CI's information, it wasn't actually my CI. It was like someone who works with him. I don't actually know who she is um, specifically, but like everything logistically goes through her even though he's technically my ci Mm. and so he was like oh you need to email her about getting you access because every time a student comes it takes like forever to get access to the system and i was like okay so i emailed her and i was like hey i don't really know what he's talking about but he said like i need to go through you it takes a long time like i want to do be proactive this was like before finals week Uh and she still hasn't emailed me back about it so i was going to email her today but like now 
I don't one, I don't even know what he's talking about. Two, I don't even know if there's like enough time. Mm. Now there should be, but like I don't know if it's for like soap notes. Yeah. Or what it's actually for. But he was like concerned about it, but like I couldn't even tell what he was talking about. He was like being so vague. Like <laughs> you just chew up like, hey, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of uh PT school, bro, COVID. Online PT school. How's it going with you? Um I mean it feels like we're in American career college all the time. I don't know when I made the phone call to the infomercial, but I apparently made the phone call. Um, I mean, even what, even one of our professors, I won't say any names, depending on who listens to this, but one of our professors even called it University of Phoenix at one point when, he, when they were really frustrated with like how Zoom was going and stuff like that, you know? So I think, I think professors and students alike, I think we're all on the same vibe. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. I kind of makes me nervous because I feel like there's a lot of things that we don't get as much practice with mm-hmm. as the years before us. And the professors aren't, they don't hide it. Like there's been a lot of things where they're like, oh, like even in lab, I've noticed they'll be like, oh, we usually spend a lot more time on this, but like we don't have time with this year. So we're just going to do this and like, it'll be fine. And they just kind of like pass it off. And in my head, I'm like, but if it was important enough to spend a lot of time on it, last year what are we missing out on i know you know if you don't know what you don't know then you will be fine (laughs) right like it's almost like they know that we're kind of going to be screwed Mm -hmm. for a couple years but they're just like doing what they can and it's not their fault but they they kind of play it off really poorly (laughs) because they they almost like they almost are telling us like we're not we can't prepare you the way that we normally would. It's like giving, telling us like you got to go practice on your own and like more self-study. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm planning to do. I mean, I'm not sure about you, but I finally just figured like everything out after this quarter, the ortho, Mm -hmm. after we went through everything, I I understand it now, you know, uh, the neurology, right. The thing that we did for the practical from subjective all the way to the intervention one, Mm -hmm. I'm applying that model to the orthos. Mm -hmm. So, so pretty much my plan is like, you know, throughout this break, I'm going to record myself going through all the special tests, clearing tests, all the, you know, practicing like subjective examination, you know, the one that we've been doing, all the video recordings, which I thought were ridiculous too. You know, I was like, oh, this is kind of boring. But now now that I look back at it, I'm like, okay, maybe it was it was beneficial, you know, tiny bit, better than, you know, nothing, you know? Yeah. Um, but the, those key points that we look for, let's say ankle sprain, right, you know, um, we're or heel pain, like we're asking, like where is the location and stuff like that. Those mm-hmm. key points, um, I'm just gonna review it. That's the plan for the next, you know, after my my uh, P1, just record three weeks, just review it. And I feel like, I know, you know, even though we missed out on the lab, I feel like if we keep practicing it, we'll be fine. You know. Yeah, Harvey and I, and I think Anthony's gonna get in on it too. We're gonna start reviewing past quarters, just yeah. like big concepts. Like I think um, Harvey was texting us that he might start doing therapeutic procedures today. Oh, nice. Um, just like big stuff, like um, where to put the wheelchair for different transfers, how to do different transfers, range of motion for different joints, just like really basic stuff, but stuff that we obviously need to keep up as we move forward. And we're going to do that with um, past classes just because we haven't before over a break. But I feel like one, it'll come back to us like really quickly yeah, if definitely. we don't already know it. And um, it's like it's kind of like being a TA in anatomy. Like you see it once and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And it just like kind of comes back to you. But it's just yeah. that it's that repetition of like not letting it just like drift off into. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, back 
when COVID started, I used to go to the the PT lab uh, mm-hmm. and then practice. But they caught up. They locked. They locked us all out. I know. I know. I, you know, I understand. They're like they don't want us in there without professor supervision outside of lab time because they don't know who we'll be exposing each other to, mm-hmm. uh, especially to people that we don't normally have lab with. But I think to your point of them wanting us to do more self-practice just because we have half the lab time, we don't get exposed to as much stuff or as much practice with stuff. I think that alone was super like essential, like Mm -hmm. even before practical, just to have a group of people go to the PT labs and just happen to be there. And then you practice with like a bunch of different people or like talk stuff out with a bunch of different people. Like I feel like that made a huge difference. Yeah. Remember the time back in the day to like, all right, make sure you go around and then just palpate that piriformis or pubis symphysis, you know? Right. Like you got as many people as Uh possible because I mean, you're, we're going to have patients of all different shapes and sizes. So we were encouraged to practice it on as many different people as possible, different genders, different sizes, like everything. And now we practice on one person. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I know his body from head to toe. Right. I was like, yo, I, I know every <laughs> Right. And then like we have a practical with one person. Yeah. And then it's just like we just move on to the next thing. And it's like everybody's so different, you know? Yeah. Um, Think about it. We're literally, we just finished halfway through PT school. Can you believe that? We just finished yeah, upper halfway. and lower extremity ortho. We just need what spine, right? We just have spine and then we're done. Yeah. Yeah. We have like, we have cervical spine next quarter. And then I think we have lumbar spine after that. And then like, we're done. Wait, we have like separate quarters for a cervical and separate quarter for lumbar? I assume because we have ortho in the winter, but then we have another ortho class in the spring. Oh dude, that means we're doing the grade five thrust, right? Yeah. We're doing, we do a cervical manips next quarter. Yeah. Dude, I'm excited for that one. I know. I know. Can I practice on you, Trish? You trust me. I I do. (laughs) Oh, thank you. That means a lot. That means a lot. I heard, uh. I heard last year though, because I had some second years who practice on me last year. I heard I have very um, tight musculature in my neck, Ooh. so we'll see. Um, Do you see this right there? I invested in my own lab. I see it. I see it. We have one at my house in uh, where I live with um, Harvey and them. A game changer, man. I paid twenty bucks for it. Yeah, they're super cheap because they're massage tables. But it's not twenty bucks. I use all the Amazon Prime rewards. Really? So it's, like, it's like ninety bucks. I'm like, I'm gonna just use all my Amazon. But Prime even then, it. like. They're like, they're cheaper than you think they'd be because they're exactly. not like a plinth. They're like massage tables, so they don't cost a lot of money. To begin with massage, I still need to practice with effleurage and petrissage. I know. You know, I was thinking about that the other The day. cream is so expensive. That's the main reason why I haven't started yet. The cream really? is like 40 bucks. Yeah. I'm like, why? Yeah, Can I use like olive oil or something? It depends on like, depending on what you massage, it probably goes by really quick too. Yeah. Speaking of um, PT school, again, um, you know... Because if we're halfway through, what were your expectations coming into PT school and you know, what's your reality? Did they match? Um, that's a good question. I think, I think not that it's not hard. I think in my head it was going to be harder. I think to where like I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make it through because you hear so many horror stories wow. of grad school. You hear so many stories of like you're up all night and you still fail and it's like everything is day to day and it's like it's hard don't get me wrong but I feel like the way our professors teach for the most part we are also prepared for the difficulty like I've there have been very few times where I've gone into an exam or I've gotten through a class and I'm like I wasn't prepared for that you know it might be hard I might not do as well as I want to do but I still feel like I was given a fair opportunity to do well Mm. and 
with that, I'm fine. You can make it as hard as you want. But if you teach me and prepare me to succeed, and then all that's left is like my performance, like I can live with that. That's never going to bother me. Do you think the professor have done a good job preparing you, equipping you with the tools to succeed so far? I do. Um, I mean, COVID included. Mm -hmm. I, this is just as new to them as it is to us. And I think we could all do a better job of keeping that in mind because it, it's, it's hard to think to not make it personal and not make it feel like we're the only ones going through this. You know what I mean? Like they've been teaching for however many years the same way every year and they've had to adjust this year just as much as we have. Yeah. Um, but I think I think for the most part, they've done a great job. Yeah. You know? I agree with you, but at the same time, you know, I don't know if you remember this or not, in the cardio palm lab, right? They give us all these case studies and do, mm -hmm. and they say, do functional exercise and do bed mobility exercise. You know, they never taught us what they mean. I'm not sure about you, but for me, I always struggle that one. This is do bed mobility exercise, do functional exercise. I'm like, they never explained us. Yeah. And if you ask a different professor, you know, they give you different answers and they're like, yeah, depends. You know, I was like, I don't want depends. Tell me what to do. You know, I actually, it's funny you bring that up because I didn't get a solid answer on mm -hmm. that until the last practice session before our cardio poem two mm. practical. And it wasn't even that I asked, it was a random like jump in by one of our professors. Again, I'm not going to say any names, <laughs> um, but we all know who it was. Uh, it was one of those where they jumped in and they were like, Hey, like, let's talk about this. And they came in and they asked me like, what type of functional exercises do you typically give your patients? Like give you, give me some examples. And I named like normal ones like marches, glute bridges, sit to stands. Like I forgot what I said. I said like three or four things yeah. and they went, well, why do you pick those? And I was like, well, because they're good exercises. Like they work, they accomplish the goal, yeah. right. Um, of what we're looking for. And she kind of goes, well, what if you go into a treatment and you say, I'm going to give this patient sit to stands and then you go to stand them up and they stand up perfectly fine. Would you still give them sit to stands? And I kind of hesitated. And she was like, don't you think it would be better if you went through a treatment and you gave exercises based on their weaknesses? She's like, what if you notice that they don't stand up well? What if you notice that they drag their feet when they walk? What if you notice that? Like, she's like, whatever, whatever it may be, they don't move in bed well. She's like, I think it's much better to come up with functional exercises based on a patient's function. If you notice that a patient doesn't stand up well on their own or they need a lot more assistance, then give them sit to stands have them do the things that they're not good at so that you make them more functional. She's like, that's the point. Like she goes, you guys are much more valuable than going in with cookie cutter exercises that you give every patient. Cause not every exercise is going to work for every patient. Yeah. I think the problem lies, I guess, not in the functional. I mean, that makes sense. Right. I think the problem lies in how they test us. You know, they make yeah. us do functional exercise when we don't even know what the patient is lacking. Right. So we're like, okay, what is the right exercise to do? Because we don't know. Right. And I, I think that explanation alone gave me a lot of clarity. But to your point, I was kind of sitting, I sat back afterwards and I was like, why didn't they tell us that before? Yeah. Like that makes so much sense. But it's like, why am I hearing this now at the end of this second class? Yeah. Of second cardio class. Home, exactly. You know, um, but then it kind of clicked when I went to my practical and I'm sure not every patient acted like this, but I, I messed it up because she stood and it wasn't until afterwards that 
I realized that she was acting weak standing up on purpose. Mm. And then um, afterwards, I gave her like not a good exercise or like exercise just kind of off the top of my head. And it was a different professor that was proctoring me than the one that gave me the advice. But she was like, um, she was like, well, why did you choose those exercises? And I was like, I don't know. And then she's like, well, she was kind of weak standing. You could have given her sit to stands. And then it clicked. I was like, oh, I should have caught that. Because I remembered. I was like, yeah, yeah her stand was kind of bad. Yeah. But it, I, I guess to your point, it didn't click in the moment that like, oh, her stands looked like this. I should probably give her sit to stands to mm. build her leg strength. So they're expecting us to catch that since last quarter. But, you know, none of us picked that up. Right. Right. Yeah, that makes sense, you know. It's like, pay attention to what they're doing. Yeah. And then having your back of your head like, hey, this doesn't look right. I should probably give them this exercise because this doesn't look right. Yeah. So so going back, you know, the, the initial question about, you know, preparing us, right? The professor, they do their best. I appreciate that. But sometimes there's still those tiny, just, you know, just a tiny pointers that right. could have made a huge difference in our, you know, uh, while we're taking these lab practicals, and right. especially lab practicals, honestly, you know, everything else is like fine. Um, do, you, do you like the online video format that they're doing? The pre-recorded one versus li live ones? Um, I didn't particularly like it at first. I still, I still would like to be in person if possible, just because I appreciate the collaboration of being able to ask questions in person and getting that immediate feedback and mm. having other people ask questions and you hear their questions and you're like, Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Or like, that's an interesting way to put it. Like there's to me in some ways, there's nothing that replaces that group effort towards learning. Um, yeah. Because I think this is true for probably any cohort, but I think ours has a lot of different interesting personalities and a lot of interesting ways to think about things. Um, and we get a lot out of that. And I know I used to learn a lot just from their comments and their feedback that they get from professors because we all think differently. That being said, I've kind of fallen in love with being able to schedule my day mm. and schedule my week around when I'm going to listen to certain lectures and when I'm going to study and when I'm going to do other things. And I think it's made it somewhat easier to balance mm. my life and find enjoyment in doing things outside of school because I know when I'm going to be doing things and it's on my time and my schedule and when I'm going to have free time. You're one of those people that I know has all the schedule planned out, like you're going to get these um, section done every day, right? Versus uh, the way I approach is like get these subject done, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, people have different ways of studying it, but I, you know, recently I just started implementing the way, you know, you were studying and I noticed that it made, it made a huge difference, you know, um, in my ability to recall and retain the materials. And... Um, you helped me out a lot too, a lot too you know, with, with all that study guide and stuff. You know, it really helped. Uh, yeah. But I, personally, I like uh, the Zoom format a lot better uh, because, I don't know, while I'm sitting there, just the materials are a lot. Cause sometimes it's complex mm. that if you don't catch the... Because they always build on top of, you know, the previous topic. Yeah. So if you fail to understand this, this topic, you're lost for the rest of the, you know, 30, 40 minutes of lecture. If you're like, mm. what is going on? Like, I can't connect anymore, you know. Uh, so for, you know, PT interventions always lead to this, leads to this, leads to this, leads to this. And if you have a disconnect there, you're lost. And when that happens, I just zone out and I'm like, okay, I'm lost. I don't you know what's going on anymore. So I'm just going to go back home and, you know, study on my own. Um, that, that... That's why I like, you know, Pete, I like the Zoom format better because you can do it on your own time, like you said, plan it out. And then I feel like I, I learn more 
if I try to recall stuff we learned you know, in person uh, last year, I, I mean, I can safely say I, I don't think I'm able to recall mature half of it. The yeah. bare minimum, right? Yeah. Versus if you ask me stuff now, I think I'll be able to recall about like 70%, which is, you know, a lot better than um, the in, in person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, depending on how you schedule your week, um, I know that I've really liked the format of getting lectures done a day ahead of time. So if a, a class would have been scheduled on Monday, I get those lectures done on Sunday. And then Monday... In that time block, I can say, okay, I'm going to study this class for two hours. I've already listened to the lecture. Now I'm going to study this lecture for two hours. And it's been, not that I didn't do that when we were in class in person, but it's tougher because you can't choose that schedule. But now I feel like I can watch a lecture and then make time to study it. And then some weeks, if it's lighter, I can even get, go back and study a lecture a second time. Wow. Um, and it's like, it's been nice to be able to do both, to be able to watch it and be able to rewatch it and look mm. over parts that were confusing, but then actually take time to like intensively study it yeah. after that and have it be like two separate times. Um, and to your point, I think it's really helped with recall for mm. me because you're, you're almost learning it in two different ways. Yeah. You know, Did you, would you say that, you know, because you say your expectations were that it will be a lot harder, but could it also be that, you know, you managed it well, it's not that, you know, materials aren't hard. It's just that, you know, you manage your time very well that, you know, you know, things just, fit in place where you, you can do extracurricular stuff on top of just focusing on school. Would you say that? Yeah, I'd, um, I actually, I absolutely would. I mm. think, um, I've had to learn time management getting into grad school and I've had to change that part of my life a lot. I mm. think we all have compared to undergrad. I yeah, mean, speaking of undergrad, let's talk about undergrad. So where did it. you go to undergrad again? So I went to two different universities, technically three, cause mm. I was abroad for a semester. Um, but I went to Point Loma Nazarene in San Diego, uh, um, and then for a year and a half, and then I was in New Zealand for a semester, and then I transferred to California Baptist University in Riverside. Oh, so in three undergrad? Mm -hmm. Oh, snaps. Yeah, technically three. So which one did you get a degree from? Uh, California Baptist. Oh, see, yeah, okay. I went there my last three years because I took five years for my bachelor's. Oh, so. uh, exercise science? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yes, sir. Did you join any, like... Uh, <laughs> no, they were Christian colleges, oh, so we didn't have frats. Christian frats, you know? Yeah. Like, Hallelujah. <laughs> we tried. At Point Loma, we tried. We brought it up to yeah. the administration. They were not very thrilled. You could have Bible idea. studies, you know, in your plan. <laughs> we could. We could. Um, Did you join any sports, uh, undergrad? Yeah, I played intramurals. Um, I didn't play any official sports. I played ultimate frisbee mostly. Oh, when I was in San Diego, I played that for pretty much the whole time I was there. I did not know that you um, didn't play during our anatomy. I know I played <laughs> a little bit. You know, I was um, I was sad they had intramurals actually this past quarter. Um, they started them like midterms week. They were like, oh, we're starting next week. Like make teams, and ultimate frisbee was one of the one of the sports that they had. So yeah. I was like, I didn't have time to join a team or anything because it was so last minute, but. Um, I was definitely hyped that they even had that because I haven't played in a few years. You know, the ultimate frisbee is like very intriguing to me. To this day, I still don't know how it works. How many players are in that game? So I believe, oh geez, I should know this. I think <laughs> I should know this. I should. I it's between <laughs> five and seven. I think it's five per team or oh, per, per team. So oh, okay. it's ten people on the field at a time. I think really anyone. Anyone who plays Ultimate Frisbee regularly, don't quote me and or hate me. Um, it's been a few years, but I think it's it's like basketball. There's five and five, and essentially you have a field, 
it's basically a football field long, so about 100 yards, and you have end zones. And um, everyone else can move except for the person with the Frisbee. Anyone who – and you can pivot on one foot like in basketball if you have uh-huh. the Frisbee, but you can't walk or run or anything. Um, the person defending the uh, whoever's holding the Frisbee has to be an arm's distance away. And most leagues play it to where you have to throw it within five seconds, and they can count you down um, – with like Mississippi. So they count to five Mississippi or seven Mississippi, whatever the rule is. And then you have to throw the Frisbee or else um, the other team gets the Frisbee. Anytime the Frisbee hits the ground, it's a dead Frisbee. And the other team automatically gets the Frisbee, no matter who touched it last. If you get thrown the Frisbee and you're running, you have three steps to stop uh, with the Frisbee in your hand. And then you basically just work your way down the field. And if you catch the Frisbee in the end zone, you score a touchdown or seven points. And then you just go back and forth. And usually there's a time component. Oh. Um, they play for like 30 minutes or whatever. And at the end of time, whoever's up. Unless you get, I think, mercy rule is seven. So if you go up seven, nothing. Then like the game ends. <laughs> mercy um, rule. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, it's it's whoever's uh, ahead at the end of time. Oh, wow. That sounds fun. Yeah. But other than that, there's no rules pretty much. No other rules. Uh-huh. Um, to my understanding, it was created up um, by UC Berkeley. And they created it without rules on purpose because they wanted the game that they could play where it was just like completely free. Well, what, 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 do you see Berkeley like, uh, it's that thing that we learned in orthotic. You see, you see Berkeley, remember that orthotic that we, oh yeah. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> yeah. They just like to create stuff and name all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have to put the name in there. Yeah. Frisbee, you know, like first year, one of the first years played Frisbee, I think it's Eric, right? He does, right? He used to post these videos from like shooting the, the frisbee and like sniping it like the target all the way across. Oh, that's like um. Oh it is Eric. Appreciate it, Eric. Yeah. What's that? What's the name for that? Um, but that's for the the game, right? Or is it just specific? Sport? Well, that's that's a sport. Oh, you, really? You mean they shoot it with a rifle? Right? No, 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 not that one. Uh, just frisbee. He's just practicing throwing straight across. The, oh, really? The park. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he plays ultimate. He might play disc golf too. Disc golf? Yeah. It's into the same thing as Frisbee? Yeah, it's 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 played with a Frisbee. Um and it's played where they have like um like chain cages set up mm. that you like try to make it in and that's like your hole in one. I've never played, so I know I know very little about it, but it, I know it takes like a lot of accuracy. So you're the single player then? Um you can play yeah, it's single player. You can play with a group, mm. kinda like normal golf. Yeah. Or yeah like yeah. mini golf almost. I think you take turns. Gotcha. Um it's not like no running involved. Mm-mm, not that I know of. Yeah, no. yeah. Okay. That sounds fun. Um, did you guys win any tournaments or did you guys go? We uh, took second in our intramural league. And to this day, I think we were cheated um, <laughs> for sure. But but no, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, I miss playing with those guys for sure. Yeah. The San, San Diego, I'm, I'm starting in next week. Next week. Yeah, you're at Sharp, right? Yeah, sure. Which one's your favorite uh, food places uh, in San Diego? Oh, man, I'll have to put you on to some. Yeah. Um, there's a place in... What? Sharp is in... Right by es- the freeway. It's in Escondido? Like La Jolla area? I'm trying to think of where Sharp's at. I think it is, because I remember yeah, seeing it by the freeway. Uh-huh. Um, where they have, like, f- crossover right, by that year. Right, 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 yeah. Um, so you'd be about maybe... a. Th- 30 minute drive from this place but like it's a straight shot it's just farther down the coast mm. um there's a place in ocean beach called mike's taco club okay it's like a little shack right by the beach it's literally like right across the street from the ocean that is where i take 
everyone. If I go to San Diego with them, that's the first place I go. Well, what'd you time. get? Um, their carne asada fries are mm-hmm. amazing. Excuse me. Their California burritos are amazing. Um, that's pretty much their fish tacos are really good too. Okay. Pretty. I, I've never had a bad thing there uh. for sure, but um, little hole in the wall place. And it, that is my spot. That's I can't go to San Diego without going to, without going to Mike's. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you cook during, uh, the undergrad or did you eat out a lot? Um, well, the first half when I was in San Diego, I ate out a lot for sure. Mm. Um, yeah, I was dating someone at the time whose mom worked at the school. So she was around all the time and she'd bring us food a lot of the oh, time. Wow. Um, <laughs> and then when I went to New Zealand, I cooked a mm. lot. Um, I did go out here and there, but, uh, I definitely cooked more there than ever before. Um, you like I, cooking or like food in general? I, I love food cooking. I don't not like it. I think I just need to practice more with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not super confident in my cooking skills, so it's not the first thing I turn to. I think that just comes with time and just doing it over and over again. Do you consider yourself a foodie? For sure. Yeah. What, what are your favorite tiers of food? Types of food? Yeah. Um, what is the top tier? Number one. It's probably a Thai. You know, being out here, because I can't get soul food all the time, mm. sushi's probably my top. If I lived in a place that I could get sushi more, or uh, soul food more regularly, I think soul food would be my top, but... I really only get that on like holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, Mexican food is up there too. Okay. Depending on what city I'm in. Any Chinese food? Chinese food's cool. I don't, again, I don't, um, there's not a lot of good spots out here mm, and I didn't grow true. up like going to LA a lot and stuff. So, yeah. um, I haven't, I haven't experienced a lot of good, like authentic Chinese food, but speaking of that, where'd you grow up? Riverside. Riverside? California. Yes, sir. Nice. Born and raised. Well, where'd you go to high school? Uh, Martin Luther King high school. In Riverside. Is that a private school? Um, no, it's a public school. They call it um, Martin Luther King? Mm-hmm. Oh. Martin Luther King Junior High School. Um, it's funny. We would always get made fun of for being the widest school in Riverside. So mm. the name was always really ironic to me. Yeah. Um, the high school was... I was I was just looking back at the high school yearbook just like a couple of days ago. I was like, you know, things have changed. So we're almost at like the, the reunion coming up in two years. Uh, wait, when did you graduate? 2013? 2014. I was saying, same as mine too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The so, reunion's coming up. 2024. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's four years. Four years. Oh, my God. I was like, two years? Two, Don't wait. tell me I'm that old. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Three or four years. You playing sports stuff like in high school? I wrestled. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Correct me if I'm right. You have like, how many degrees black belt? Uh, Three. Three. Uh, yeah. So, how many degrees are like the max degrees you can get? So, I have a third degree black belt in Taekwondo. Um, Most... Companies, it depends because there's different companies of Taekwondo. The one that I was in growing up for the most part, there's really eight degrees. Um, there's only one ninth degree at a time and it was the grandmaster of the company. Hmm. Um, so there was only one at a time. And then whenever they retired or passed away, the next one was named and they were the only ninth degree. And then there hmm. was eighth and down. Um, sixth degree and on are considered masters. And you had to be 21 to be a sixth degree. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. Um, or maybe that was fourth degree. It was fourth degree. Sixth degree doesn't have an age because fourth degree does. So the reason why I didn't get my fourth degree is I was a third degree by the time I was 12. Mm. And so I would have to wait like another nine years. Wait, to you test have your for third my... degree by 12? Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah. I started... nobody, nobody messed with you back in middle school then, right? <laughs> Yeah, not a lot. Not a lot. I uh, I started when I was six. Were you tall back in middle school? No, no. I was like five foot 
Oh, one. Snap. I was tiny. So yeah. you, you, you uh, grew up in the high school then? Oh, yeah. I was, by the end of my freshman year, I was 5'7". I grew like six or seven inches. 5'7 freshman. Yo, yeah, that was, was, that's a dream. I was big. And then uh, sophomore year was about the same. I maybe grew like an inch. And then junior year, I think I grew my last two or three inches. And I've been this height pretty much ever since. Dude, speaking of uh, the, taekwondo, right? Mm-hmm. Taekwondo. Did you, did you watch the, the boxing match? Uh, with Tyson? Tyson, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. Yeah, I caught it. What, what'd you think? You know, I was... Impressed? No. No? I was kind of disappointed. Um, I think that... Um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Roy. Roy Jones Jr., thank you. I, okay, so you can educate me who Roy Jones Jr. is. You know, like, he, I heard, like, he's a champion. Like, all I know is just Mike Tyson, so... He was... He came after Mike Tyson, not long after... Um, but he came a little after and he actually started at a middleweight mm. and then was the champion in four different weight classes all the way up to heavyweight. Wow. And so he was the man of his day for sure. But he was a guy who won a lot on speed and elusiveness. He had really good footwork and he mm. was usually faster than his opponents and he had better defense than his opponents and he had knockout power, but he wasn't that I'm going to come forward one shot knockout type of guy. <laughs> he usually outboxed people. Which is why people were so interested in this Mike Tyson fight yeah. because they were so such polar opposites. Um, and, you know, I didn't want Roy to fight the way he did. I understand why he did. Because he was scared, right? He just, I mean, I think he's at the age where what made him great isn't there anymore. The way that it used to be. He doesn't have the, the footwork speed, he used right? to have. He doesn't have the speed advantage True. he used to have. And so he couldn't outbox Mike the yeah. way that he would back in the day and True. he didn't want to get his head taken off so he was like I'm <laughs> just gonna hug him right I'm gonna make him I think what he was trying to do is he was trying to make him bear his weight and carry him around the ring and tire him out hopefully and then try to mm. outbox him in the later rounds I think that's what his plan was and it's funny there was an interview weeks before the fighters it might have been even a month or more before the fight that they were asking him um, they were asking Roy what he felt going into the fight. And at first, when they first brought the fight to him, it was going to be on three weeks notice. And Roy Jones's last fight was in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. He had boxed pretty recently. And Mike's last fight was over 15 years ago. And so Roy said in the interview, you know, I was really hyped up when they first brought it to my attention three weeks notice because I knew that Mike hadn't fought in a long time. Mm. And I wanted to catch him out of shape because I was going to be basically like, I don't think he said this, but he basically alluded to the fact that like he would have been scared of Mike if Mike was in shape. And then they said, we're going to give him a full fight camp. And Roy tried to pull out of the fight because it's like, I don't want to fight Mike Tyson on a full camp because what I does think full camp mean like uh, training for a fight for eight weeks or more. Oh, so okay, if okay. basically letting Mike Tyson get back into shape, he was like, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. I'd rather fight Mike like, off the couch yeah, because yeah, I yeah. have a better shot if Mike's mm. not in shape because I've boxed a lot more recently than he has. Yeah. And so when they brought up the full camp scenario, Roy was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and then they brought the money for it and they were like, well, you're going to make this. And he was like, all right, all right, like I'll do it type of thing. But he was already hesitant from the jump. True. Okay. Fighting Mike Tyson if Mike Tyson had time to train. Mm. And so I think that was playing in his head yeah. the whole time. Like Mike's going to get back into shape. Yeah. He's a scary guy type of thing. Um. And so he probably came up with the strategy of tiring him out. Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't think he wanted to try to fight him the way that he used to because he probably would have been hurt. 
pretty yeah. quickly. Did, did Mike get so full eight weeks of training camp? Yeah, yeah. No one, I can see that. I was like, when he was like doing, I was like, oh snap, yeah. he's going in. He's so quick, for and, sure. You know, the, the funny part is, if you actually listen, because you know, there's no audience there, everything that they see pick up, uh, from the mic. Mm-hmm. So when uh, Ra was every time Ra was hugging, and then the referees like move away, like, Dude, he's gonna knock me out. Yeah, <laughs> he knows that yeah. you know he has to do that. Otherwise, boom, like yeah. his head's gonna be off. I was kind of disappointed. Um, At who? Well, they. I think they planned the draw ahead of time. I think so too. Do you think Mike was holding? Back? I feel like Mike was holding back. Well, not even that. I heard uh, the next day they yeah. released the judges' scorecards. And on the scorecards, Tyson won. Yeah, definitely. But then they announced it a draw. Mm-hmm. So I think they wanted, they knew they were going to make a second one. Yeah. But I feel like they could have let Tyson won and still done a second one. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, a charity, probably. It, it is, because yeah. it was exhibition. But still, I I don't know. Um, I'm a purist of the sport. And it's like, if you're going to get two legends in there like that, like, make it real. Do mm. a second one if you want to. But don't, like... Make it a joke. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, everyone gets a medal. Everyone gets a belt. Like, they get yeah, participation yeah. trophies. Like, I don't know. It was so it was you, for charity and it was fun, but it was kind of disappointing in that way. Do you kind of feel like it's kind of a Meg Wagger versus a Mayweather sort of thing? Do you? No, that one was real. That was a real fight. That was an exhibition. I, I know, but, like, in terms of, like, you know, Mayweather wasn't even, like, boxing. It was just, like... Actually, no, that's a bad comparison. You know, the guy, other guy doesn't know how to box. So yeah, I mean, they... They're twine. That one was different, but... That's true. I mean, how do you think... Uh, what do you think of Jake Paul and Nate Robinson? <laughs> I like Snoop's uh, commentary uh, more. That was great. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. He was praying for... He was ready. And then, like, he got back up. He's like, all right. <laughs> he got yeah, knocked Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, Snoop prayed for him before he got knocked well, out. I didn't know... Um, I didn't realize how serious Jake was. Was he serious? About making this a career. Yeah, he was serious? He wants to be a professional boxer, yeah. Did he get that tattoo after he started uh, boxing, or did he already always had that? I think he had it. Or I think he got it after his oh, first fight. Yeah. And, um, really? I mean, obviously, he's calling out Din- Dylan Dennis and Conor McGregor and all these people, um, which, I mean, hop in your bag, right? Do what you got to do. Yeah. They're not going to set him up before he's ready, but... Um, it's one of those things. I was actually listening to Chael Sonnen made a YouTube video responding to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, he was like, everyone wants to hate on him for calling out Conor McGregor and Dylan Dennis and saying, like, there's no way he's ready and this and that. And he kind of said, you know, whose business is that but his own? True. If he wants to call out people that he's not ready for, mm-hmm. then let him get slaughtered. True. You'll be right. Like, that. that's all it'll show is that you'll be right that he's not ready for that. But if he's trying to make this a career. Yeah. You got to look at him as any other boxer. He's going to call out people that he's not ready for because that's how you make a name for yourself. You get in headlines. You make Mm. the news. If he's not ready for someone and they set him up with Conor McGregor and he gets destroyed, then let him get destroyed. Like, there's no reason to hate on him for it. Do you think people are mad at him because, you know, a lot of the boxers, they train for the whole life, you know, since they were a kid to get the reputation. Whereas Jake Paul, you know, he already has his fame and fortune, you know, so every time he boxed, he makes millions. Do you think that's why people are mad at him? I think that's part of it. You know, there is a a purist almost respect aspect to it that people dedicate their whole life mm, for to the this. sports of boxing. Right. right? And, yeah. and he is just kind of jumping into it. But again, if he wants to get in the kitchen and cook and he gets burned, <laughs> then good. he'll either learn from it and keep coming back and earn his respect or he'll get out of the sport when he realizes he bit off more than he can chew. But at the end of the day, I think you kind of got to let him do that. You know, yeah. if, if it really takes dedicating your whole life and he'll never amount to anything yeah. and then just let him not amount to anything. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, then he'll be a meme 
in a couple years. But like, I, I guess don't shut him out just because he's trying to prove himself. Mm. If your theory is right that you have to dedicate your whole life and it takes this much time and this and that, then let him prove you right. Yeah. You know, I agree with you. Yes. You, you, you have, so you played Taekwondo and boxing, right? Both of them. Mm -hmm. How many, do you have boxing? Do they have ranks? No, they, yeah, they have, box, right? yeah, yeah, I never competed either. I, um, it's kind of funny. So I started Taekwondo, like I said, when I was six, I trained for, I mean, I'm still technically training. Um, but I started boxing when I was 11 or mm. so. Um, I had just finished a really intense year of competing in Taekwondo, um, went to the world championships and stuff like that. Uh, world I championship just, I did. uh you're not gonna excuse me you're not gonna just uh, <laughs> skip over the like if nothing just <laughs> happened go back, go uh, back. what's world speak about world championship um so yeah so i was a part of the american taekwondo association which isn't the same company that goes to the olympics um there's a whole backstory there of how that company became its own that i would probably have to research to tell appropriately um i know bits and pieces but yeah so the year of 2007 i was 10 um, and I won the state championship in all three events for my age category and belt rank. I was uh, eight to 10, second and third degree black belts. Wow. If I remember correctly. So I won the state championship there and then I qualified for um, the world championships in the weapons competition. Weapons um, too? Yes, sir. Wait, what, 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 which weapons do you know how to use? Um, I know single nunchuck, double nunchuck. Single stick, double stick, mid-range bow staff, and long bow staff. Oh, snaps. Um, I, I train sword a little bit. Not enough for me to say that I know how to use it. Uh, are um, you uh, classified as, you know, weapon of mass destruction? Whatever I'd, they call it. I am uh, a registered lethal weapon. Yeah, oh, snap. I am. Really? Mm -hmm. That's so, crazy. Yeah, so I've had to... Growing up, I had to learn how to talk my way out of things um, <laughs> because people learn that you're a black belt and kids being kids, you know, they test you and try yeah. to see what you're made of. So, but, but so you, if you were to, so how does that work? You know, I know it's a thing, right? The register lethal mm -hmm. weapon. So you're not allowed to get in fights because if you do that, assault with a deadly weapon. Yeah. I don't know the exact ins and outs of it. I mean, obviously it was a much bigger deal when I was a kid yeah. um, than it is now. But uh, growing up, my dad was always just like, just don't. Just don't. If someone if someone touches you first or hits you first, you have the right to defend yourself. But mm. um, for him, it was always like, don't show that you did anything. Don't mm. try not to make bruises. Try not to cut them. Try yeah. not to break anything. Like anything that they could take the court and say, like, he did this. Uh, he was always like, try to make it as clean as possible. It's like um, one shot. Yeah, just like so they don't have anything on you. Do you have a strategy? Let's say, you know, if somebody approaches you, what is your go-to, you know, um, suppression um, it depends. Chokehold or knockout? I, um, it really depends on what they do. Mm. Um, it's very reactionary, but I try to, if anything, I like going to joint locks a lot for mm. that reason. It doesn't show anything and it, it's painful and it's quick and it, it gets you out of the situation. Um, I also like going to the ground. Usually I like takedowns a lot. Um, Ring that I did wrestle in high school, but part of the reason why I like going to takedowns first is I feel like people like sometimes, oh, a lot of times the hardest people to fight, even in organized fighting sports are the people that have never trained before. Um, because you train to see certain things, you train to react to certain things and people who have never done it or don't know what they're doing 
do things that you're not prepared for because they're just throwing stuff. And no matter how trained you are, anyone can get caught by a lucky shot. Mm. Anyone can get knocked out by something, can get hit by something, and it still hurts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I feel like on the ground, people just panic. A lot of people haven't trained ground fighting. Yeah. And if you're just trying to remove yourself from a situation or control a situation as quickly as possible, if you know what to do on the ground and someone doesn't, you have a much better chance of being able to control that situation than if you're standing with someone even if you know what you're doing bro that's gonna be me every time i'm on the ground i'm just gonna you know, get a fetal position and just... right people panic they don't know what to do they hit the do. ground and they're just like yeah. you know what i mean um and you don't have to hurt them but you can put them in a chokehold you can control their arms you can mm. control their legs you can neutralize the situation i feel like a lot more controllably and easily than yeah. if someone's standing with you and they throw a lucky haymaker and you happen not to catch it yeah that's true i oh, sorry to cut you off uh you're explaining about the world champion leading up to that you said you won a state championship and then what what happened after um so i went to the world championships um for where weapons is that where's it held <laughs> little rock arkansas oh. as pretty as that is yeah <laughs> Ar- oh, oh i remember place. that story isn't that that one story you're talking about I was, it might have been yeah I I told so. the story at some point so uh-huh. the story goes that i was told is the original grandmaster of this company came to the united states from korea and his explanation was that the trees in Arkansas reminded him of the trees in Korea. And so he made the headquarters for the company in Arkansas and they've never moved. Um, and so the world championships are still held there to this day. Their world headquarters for the company are still there. Mm. Um, I don't know what trees he was talking about, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've also never been to Korea. So maybe, maybe there are some trees that look similar. Um, but yeah, so I... I went there and it was a really great experience. So basically how it works is the the um, world championships are in June, late mm. June. And you have the world championships on Friday and Saturday. And then the competition circuit for the following year starts that Sunday. Mm. And so you just stay the whole three days. Um, I think actually world championships are Thursday, Friday, Saturday, now that I think about it. And then Sunday starts the new year. So you compete in the world championships. And then if you want to compete the next year, the first tournament of the year starts the next day. So, so people then, like and from the entire world come there? Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. We had um it wasn't very big when I was there. It was it was pretty early, but now there's people from all over the world. We had a, a couple kids. We had one kid from South Africa in my ring. We had another Whoa. kid from Brazil in my ring. Mm. Um that was kind of cool. But now there's there's schools all over the place. Um but yeah, so I wanted to complete compete in sparring really bad. I didn't quite qualify. Um I can get into qualifications if you want. It's it gets kind of complex, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I took sixth in weapons, which was kind of cool. Mm. Um, so I got like this cute little pin <laughs> that they gave me. I still have it somewhere. Nice. But um, yeah. So after that, I uh, I was just burned out. I was burned out from competing. Mm. I, I felt like I was doing the same thing all the time. I mean, I was training five six days a week, every week two to three times a day, um, and so I wanted something different. So I got into boxing, and it was really fun. It was something different. It was new. Um, and my coach wanted me to compete really bad. And he would ask me every training session and tell my dad, like, I need him on the competition team. And quite honestly, I was scared of getting punched in the face. I didn't like it. Cause in Taekwondo, you can't, you can't punch to the face. You can kick to the face, but you can't mm. punch to the face. And so it scared me. Kick to the face. Yeah, that was fine. That's worse. That was all good. <laughs> I can, I can block that. I'm used to that punching to the face. It, it felt too close. It freaked me out. And so I, <laughs> I competed in one fight. And I won. And after that, I was, I was done. I never wanted to actually formally compete. <laughs> did you kick him in the face? I did not. <laughs> um, I did not, thankfully. But 
That's crazy. So you always had that discipline, you know, and then in, since you were young in terms of like, you know, uh, having a schedule you know going with the schedule to train mm -hmm. and how like you know you're a very smart person you know uh one of the smartest people that i know so oh, you. have you have you always been like academically inclined since you know you were uh kindergarten and middle school or do you just pick it up in grad school you know i've always been good in school mm. that's funny you ask you that i always have been actually i'm gonna take a drink too <sighs> there you go that, that, that's some drink like podcast stuff <laughs> You know, a little ASMR. Um, ASMR, hi. No. Um, yeah, I've always been good in school. Um, and, you know, I, tr I attribute that a lot to my parents. Mm -hmm. they, um, they always instilled in me getting good grades. Yeah. They always knew what I was capable of, and um, they never accepted anything less. They were never super tough on me, but um, if I brought home, like, a B in a class that they knew <laughs> I was good in, they were, even when I was little, yeah. I remember, man, I was young. I was maybe fifth sixth grade mm. um and i remember i got like a b on a math test yeah and i cried in class and all my friends are looking at me like why are you crying you got like an 88 <laughs> on this test and i was like devastated i was shattered by that how many like what's the distribution of like i guess races in uh in your high school or middle school um it was a lot of white but it was it was a pretty decent melting pot mm. we, we had representation from everywhere um definitely more white and hispanic than anything else but mm. um it's riverside right yeah okay. yeah but i mean riverside's so big there's there's pockets of mainly hispanic there's pocket, mm. pockets of mainly black there's pockets of mainly white and then there's there's pockets that are mixed together decently well we, um we had those in back in uh my high school too we had this asian tree and we have that gum tree where <clears throat> all the emos hang out with the, the rock stars or the punk rocks and stuff. Yeah. And we have these, like, the senior tree where all the seniors just hang out. We have the football trees and, you know, all, all the, the buff dudes hang out. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like that, right? You guys have that in, oh, in yeah. high school? Yeah, we had, um, man, I'm going to expose my high school right now. We we're probably pretty mean. Um, <laughs> there, yeah, there was the building, the language arts building where all the Hispanic kids hung out we called it little mexico <laughs> and everyone knew where it was and everyone knew who hung out there little mexico um we had the area where all the black kids hung out for sure we had the tables in the quad where all the football kids and cheerleaders and dancers hung out we had um our theater was up on a hill it was like a big hill in the middle of campus so we yeah. called it theater hill because all the theater kids and choir kids would hang out up mm. there um yeah, we definitely, we had areas too, where if you knew what group a person hung out in, you knew where to find them. Dude, like you said, Little Mexico, that's so funny because that would, that would make our Northview High School freaking Mexico itself. <laughs> it's like Hispanic, I hate 80% Hispanics. Really? Yeah, that, that, that's where my school was. So I was like, you know, when I moved here, I was just talking, I didn't have any friends, right? When I moved here, like I started at freshman year. Yeah. So I was going around just talking to these different groups, trying to fit in because I didn't even know how to speak English that well back then. So I was in this, this guy's like, hey, what's up, S.A., come here. It's like, hi, I'm, I'm Tim. And it's like, hey, what's up? Let me teach you how to do some the handshake. And he taught me that, you know, uh, what's the handshake called? Like the, the one that Cholos is like, clap, 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 and then just I don't know the name for it. There's but. The, uh, yeah, he taught me all the cholo handshakes, mm -hmm. and you know he's trying to like you know trying to make fun of me because you know, I'm an Asian kid who doesn't know how to speak English. But like, <laughs> you know, but you know for me I just you know it was my strategy to survive, right? So I was going around different groups, hanging out all these the rock bands because I know C chord on the piano. So I'm like, hey, I know how to play music. So I hang out, with, <laughs> hang out with all the, all the punk rock bands, and then I'll, like two two days later I'm like, okay, this is not working out. You know, like I'm not fitting it in. Like it took me like two years, you know, to finally belong to that 
I guess Asian. <laughs> Always like, fall back to the Asian yeah. niche. Um, so yeah, high school was like very. <laughs> oh my goodness, the funnier thing is that I was looking at my high school yearbook and it says most like most likely to get um, arrested. And it's a picture of like this one black woman and then one this cholo and the most likely to become successful two Asian kids. I was like, wait, high school was so racist. How that's, did it get that's passed? That's so funny. I was like, wait a minute. Like looking back, you know, 2020, I was like, wait, like this thing has been going on since yeah. it's like you know, racism no, stuff. That's and so funny. It's an accumulation, you know, like it, like it was it was there since the beginning i don't know if you want to talk about you know the deeper stuff about you know all the things going on with the racism and stuff whatever you want man so i remember you talking about your experience um with your mom uh at the competition or something yeah which one was it so well there's a few i mean there was i learned that was probably about the time that i i really experienced racism for the first time in my life i had heard things from my dad mm. um, growing up with a black dad but um, I know when I was that same year, 2007, when I would travel. So basically I was in fifth grade and my fifth grade teacher, bless him. He made it all possible, honestly, but I would essentially miss class almost every Friday. Um, cause I would have to fly competition was on Saturday morning. So we would fly to wherever we needed to go or drive to Vegas or wherever, um, for the competition, get there Friday night, go to sleep, wake up the next morning. Opening ceremonies was usually around, um, six or 7 a.m. on Saturday. Um, and there came a point where we needed to start going to competitions a little farther away um, to collect points towards qualifying for Worlds and to win the state championship. Um, because essentially you won the state championship based on your track record throughout the year. So depending on how big the tournament is it's and what place you get, you get a certain amount of points. And then whoever has the most points in state um, for your category wins the state title that year. So it's, it's a, an accumulation, um, throughout the year and for worlds, it's kind of the same thing, but you don't, you can't compete in as many competitions as you want. Only certain, certain number of each level of competition counts towards worlds. And then at the end of the year, the top 10 uh, point accumulations for your category go to the world championship. Mm. Um, so we started having to go a little farther away to bigger tournaments in the South and, uh, slightly bigger States and, there, there were certain places where my mom wouldn't come with us. Hmm. And I, I thought it was weird at first because we always did everything together, like us three. And I, and so I started asking, like, why can't mom come with us? My dad had to, like, sit me down and tell hmm. me, like, there are places where they wouldn't find our family okay. Hmm. And because it's just us two, it's still somewhat dangerous, but it's better than having mom with us. And so there were just certain places that, like, my mom would stay home and she would only make plane tickets for the two of us. Um and even then, my dad and I still definitely saw some stuff. You said uh, your mom is Jewish, right? She is um, half Jewish, half Irish. Oh, well, well, oh, so even that is a problem. It's not being African-American. It's just like being half Jewish is a problem in the South. No, it's, it's that she is a white woman who married, married into a black oh, family. Wow. That's really the problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, I didn't grow up. I mean, even here, right? I moved here and my school is at 80% Hispanic. So there were like very few African-American population there. So I never took these things seriously. Right. You know, it was ignorance because of the environment that I grew up in, you know? Yeah. So that's why when all these things going on this year, I was like, you know, I need to educate myself. I need to, now that 
I'm not ignorant anymore in terms of like, you know, I'm aware of these issues that are going on, you know, thinking to myself, like, what can I do actively to really address these issues, make effort, right, to get to hear uh, people who are from African-American descent, the experiences they go through so that I can be a better friend to them. And then, you know, I can understand where they're coming from so that I can be a better friend. You're my only, like, friend, like, honestly, you know, yeah. um, I, we call, we the reason why I want to start this podcast is I want to have the deeper connection with friendship. We call us our friends, right? But with the COVID thing, we don't get to hang out anymore. We're always on Zoom and we don't spend time. And once this school is over, we're all going to be busy and then we won't have time to spend uh, anymore. Just yeah. like this type of thing, we won't have time. So that's why I'm, hey, while I have time, I want to make effort to reach out to my friends and then... Um, just effort, just 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 make an effort at least just talk to them so that we can our bonds can get stronger yeah. and then you know I can get to know you better too so that you don't you don't think that oh uh, Tim does, is ignorant or he doesn't care you know no. I don't always think that yeah but uh yeah racism man like this year has been tough um how is that going how are you feeling uh, it's a, you know it's um a lot of people aren't posting anything anymore, you know, it's, if you notice that. It's interesting you bring that up. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you bring that up. I was actually going to go there. Um, you know, it's it's hard, man. It's, it's hard because you want to believe that people are coming from the right place. And I do. I give them the benefit of the doubt. And I appreciate all of the love and support and vigilance that I've seen this year with the Black Lives Matter movement and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all these different things. It's It's been amazing, mm -hmm. right? The protests have been amazing. They were literally worldwide in a way that we've never seen before um, in the history of this earth. I mean, even the civil rights movement in the 60s, I obviously wasn't there, but you don't hear about it from a world's perspective. You hear about it from um, the March on Washington and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and all these amazing leaders, but it was here, you know, it was in the United States. Um, and there was obviously not everyone was behind it. It worked out, but um, and not everyone was behind this one either. But just seeing it on a worldwide scale, different countries protesting, different countries flying the Black Lives Matter flag and, and speaking out and having um, all these things. It was very empowering and very mm. inspiring. And it felt like we were being supported in a big way for the first time. But there was always this little skeptical yeah. voice in the back of my head. That will it fade that away. Said, right. That that kind of said, what happens when it's not viral anymore? Mm. What happens when it doesn't get people likes on Instagram? What happens when it doesn't get people views on TikTok? What happens when protests stop doing things? Because mm. I think people really went into it thinking they're going to make a huge difference and there's going to be laws and the police are going to be overthrown and there's going to be all this different stuff. And they kind of saw firsthand what african-americans in my opinion go through where it fizzles out and the people who are really in charge if they wanted to make a difference they could but they don't want to and that's like it's it's hard to say that it, it, it like it almost gets caught in my throat yeah but people who have the power to do it could do something yeah. but for whatever reason they haven't and the reasons behind that who knows? You know, I, I can speak to it, but it's all um, it's all um, guesswork. It's uh, it's not it wouldn't be factual. And so I don't want to speak to that too much in detail. But it's one of the things I mean, 
Trayvon Martin's a perfect example. I don't know if you remember the the killing of Trayvon Martin. The but one that shot in the back? He, no, he was... This was 2010. So this was oh, 10 okay. years I, ago I now. Um, and he was 14, if I'm not mistaken. And long story short, he was walking around this neighborhood. I don't think he lived there. I don't remember. But he was looking into people's windows. And he wasn't doing anything illegal, but being a little sketchy. Mm. Um, and the captain of the neighborhood watch... George Zimmerman was patrolling and mm. saw him and instead of calling the police, took it upon himself to approach a young man and try to get him to leave and push came to shove and it, it, it got violent. And from all reports, he started the physical altercation. I'm not 100% on that. Mm. It's been some years that I, since I read on it, but he started the physical altercation and he started losing said physical altercation mm. and he pulled out a gun. And shot Trayvon and mm-hmm. killed him. And it was in Florida. And in Florida, you have a law called the Stand Your Ground Law, which basically states that if you are being attacked and feel that your life is in danger, you can defend yourself lethally mm-hmm. and get away with it. And so all charges were dropped. And he was released and didn't spend a day in prison. And he never had a hospital stay. He never had any lethal injuries or near lethal injuries. Yeah. Um, he didn't, nothing pointed to the fact or to the idea factually that his life was ever in danger. Mm. It was all an idea and the courts bought it. And that's really what kind of ignited this Black Lives Matter movement idea in the black community. I mean, there were shirts and there was, there wasn't protests to where we saw them in 2020, but it was like, um, it was kind of the same feel, Mm. right? In our community. And no one really jumped on the train the same way. But the point is, that's where it started. Mm. And it's been going and going and going for 10 years. And it kind of blew up in a head. And I think part of it was there was a video with George Floyd. And so people saw it. And they Mm. were like, wow, they're not exaggerating this. Yeah. But to us, it was like, we've been doing this. Mm. This isn't new to us. So how long are you going to be in this fight with us? Because you've watched us do this for 10 plus years. And you're just getting involved now. Is this for real or is this just because it's making headlines right now? And I think to your point, kind of getting that answer. Yeah. You know, because it's definitely fizzled out and it's definitely slowed down. Like how many more, right? Like right. How many more of these videos? Right. Yeah. Right. It's like a trend now. It's like, oh, okay, he gets killed. He gets killed. He gets killed. every six months. Like, right. That is not, you know, the right. way to go. And that's not new. I think that people saw it and their hearts were in the right place, but they didn't realize because they've they've probably never been there that again, it doesn't change a lot, Mm. right? You protest and you feel good and you're like, this is going to do something. And then just kind of, I mean, the people who really could make a difference just kind of waited out and they're like, they can't protest forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? On top of that, the people that killed George, George Floyd, he didn't, he's still on the case, right? He hasn't, um, he got released on bail. Last I checked. That's it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's they all insane. did. All the police officers there got put on like a $2 million bail or something insane yeah, like that. somebody paid him, And right? they paid it. Mm-hmm. And that's the last I heard. I don't think... But bail means that he still got to go to court, right? Right. But it's it extends it. And again, I don't want to speak out of turn because I haven't researched it yeah. extensively lately. But what I do know is the officer that was in the video um, that did end up killing him had over 10 previous police brutality yeah. convictions, mm-hmm. over 10. 
and he was still on the streets operating normally. Yeah. And it's like, no, none of them had turned out fatally. But part of me just kind of went, what do you, what did you expect? You know, this was obviously a problem and it wasn't addressed correctly because he felt that he could do that over 10 times. Yeah. And now we jump on his back because he killed someone. But what about the other nine, nine times? Yeah. You know, like what was done? What was said? Anything? Was it just written down? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's it's weird. It's a weird space. Um, and I think part of the reason why it's kind of slowed down is people have a lot of passion. Yeah. They don't know what they want to do with it. And how they're going to do it. Right. There was never a goal. Mm -hmm. There was never a, this is what we need to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And I think part of that is we didn't have a leader. Yeah. We didn't have a Martin Luther King. Yeah. We didn't have a a Malcolm X. We didn't have someone to stand up in front of this crowd and say, this is what we need to aim for. And this is how we're going to do it. We were just people who were emotional and rightfully so. But when you act out of emotion, everyone has different ideas. Yeah. Whether that's looting saying, oh, let's go loot the rich stores because they have all the money. What do they need all that money for? Mm -hmm. You know, that's okay, fine. But what does that accomplish us in the greater scheme of things? Let's some said, let's defund the police. And, um, I'm probably going to make a lot of African-Americans upset when I say this, but I don't agree with that idea. Personally, Mm -hmm. I don't at all. I think it's aiming for a goal that doesn't accomplish solving that problem of police brutality and accountability at all. What I heard from that argument was let's defund the police and put that money into other things like schools and orphanages and other things in society that are criminally underfunded. Mm. Okay. I agree. Those things are criminally underfunded. Do I think that we need to set up programs to get better funding to those places? Absolutely. Does that aim to solve the problem of police brutality? No. No. Because what's going to solve police brutality? Money first. Whatever plan we come up with, it's going to cost something, right? So does taking money out of the police system and funneling into other programs solve the problem that you're protesting for? Not to me. And that's where I'm like, okay, your heart's in the right place, but what are we aiming for? What's our goal? Because right now you're just spouting different ideas and that's going to cause it to fizzle out because there's no progress. There's no way to track it. There's no accountability in that sense of what we're accomplishing. We're just upset which so you're trying to say is that you don't see the solution of like how to solve this what do you is there a solution that in your mind i think it starts with accountability Mm. of police officers i think that they for the most part see themselves as above the law and i think they are a brotherhood who protects their own Mm. and i think even the higher-ups in a lot of different places are corrupt not everywhere Mm -hmm. but in enough places that to your point these videos keep popping up yeah and you don't hear a lot being done how we get there is another conversation that i don't feel i have the authority nor the expertise to make that call i don't know what that looks like Mm. um i think that there needs to be some type of way to hold officers accountable for their actions no different than normal citizens i think that they are not afraid of the consequences. And so if they feel certain ways or they racially profile or whatever, mm-hmm. they don't, the, the risk is never bigger than the reward yeah. for them. True. They feel like they can act however they want and it'll work out and it'll be fine. And nine times out of 10 is. Mm-hmm. 
and they don't have to worry about it. That's why racism is an issue of the heart, man. Like, it's an issue of a heart where there's no logic to it, you know? I mean, even, I don't know about, I mean, I'm not trying to downplay, you know, what African Americans are no, going no, no. through, but like in Asia, Asians are like hella racist, bro. I grew up in a racist environment. I'm Burmese, right? And we have these minorities, Indians, that are there because we racially profiled them. We even have the N-word for them in Burmese. And uh, peop- every time we try to talk down on people, we use that word. Say, mm. Same Bur- Burmese, Burmese, like, yo, you, you know, you're acting like it, you know, the word. And it was okay to talk about it because everybody was talking about it because we tried to, we think that we're better than them. I don't know if you heard about the news about the Rohingyas and Muslims in Burma just got, millions of Rohingyas got pushed out of uh, uh, Burma to Bangladesh because mil- military was killing them. You heard about the news? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's all based on racism because Burmese are supposed to be like Buddhist monks, peaceful protests. These people just like get guns and burn down the vi- villages and then they try to push these illegal immigrants out of the uh, the country, which is literally parallel to what America's going to, right? Mm. Here's like, you know, mid- mid- no, Mexicans and there it's like, oh, these Indians, you know, like they're illegals, you know, they don't belong in our country, get out of here, um, kind of thing, even though they're not costing us anything. So um, even I grew up in that environment where collectively we believe that, oh, it's okay to be racist. So I'm trying to apply that to, you know, how these people think who believe that they're above the law or like it's okay to look down African-Americans, racially profile them because that's how they that's the environment they grew up in. That's how they were raised by their parents who believed in these things, which were accumulations of te- decades, if not centuries, of um, racism. And it's, it's a very complex issue where we can't just like say, oh, th- these policies will change. These policies will change. No, policies won't change anything. It's racism. You know, it's an issue of the heart where people have to really realize that what they're doing is wrong right right and that's not realistically just dave chaffelle said like can you solve it like oh can can they like yeah. is that the thing but like you said it starts with at least it has to start with something the accountability i agree with that like nobody's above the law no. and the fact that they're getting away with acting out on these violence based because of their racist needs to be held accountable. Um, there needs to be repercu- serious repercussions on these police officers who are racially profiling African-Americans. And it's not, it's not an easy task to, to, to do, but hopefully it's going to go in the right direction. Um, yeah. And, and like, like I've been saying, you know, it's fading out. Like I'm not seeing any black squares. I'm not seeing any. <laughs> right. And it, you know, it's to your point. Um, I agree. Racism is, condition of the heart racism is something that is taught yeah. or is raised around um and you see that with little kids right you see little kids mm-hmm. in all kinds of pictures and that's not them you know like they don't know what they're talking about they don't know what they're saying they they hear it from their dad or their uncle or their parents or whatever yeah um and it's just it's ingrained it's it's taught through generations and it's passed through generations and it's, it's a mindset but it's one of those things where i think what people need to realize is racism is something that you're never truly going to solve. Mm-hmm. You're not going to fix everyone. No different than you can have the best police force in the world and the best laws in the world. And you're never going to not have some type of criminal. It's never going to happen. You're always going to have someone who is the bad apple mm-hmm. and you need to have, but at the same time, that'd be like saying we'll never solve everyone. We'll never fix everybody. There's always going to be someone who breaks the law so let's have no laws. 
What's the point? Anarchy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, when you think of it that way, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But to me, racism is no different. Are you ever going to solve racism at its core? Probably not, especially not in the U.S. Because our country, by and large, was built on those ideas. Yeah. From the very beginning, there was always a group of people who felt that they were better than the people around them, whether it was indigenous populations, whether it was Mexican-Americans, whether it was African-Americans. There was always people who were stepped on and looked over. Yeah. Right. And there was always someone getting something out of it, no matter what. And whether it was, like I said, the indigenous populations, whether it was the slave trade, whether it was um, the Chinese Americans who built the railroad, you can, there's thousands of examples you can find. Mm. But the very foundations of our country were built on those ideas. And so, how far do you dig before you're literally uprooting what this country was built on? And can you accomplish that without? the country itself crumbling mm. because you're undoing its entire history. Yeah. And so do I think that you can actually solve racism? No. Do I think that that means we don't, we do nothing because that's the way it is. No. Also, no, you're not going to fix everyone, but you can do something. You can do a lot. I mean, the, the civil rights movement did a lot. Yeah. There we have, we don't have segregation anymore. You know, there were times where I couldn't go to the same bathroom as other people. I couldn't go to the same school as other people. Mm. You know what I mean? The society was completely split solely based on race. And that changed. It took years, it took decades, but it happened. You know, so it's like, can you make a difference? Yes. Are you ever going to find the perfect solution that solves everything? Absolutely not. But that to me doesn't change the importance of trying and doing what you can to build a better society. Yeah. It's just, it's going to take some really smart, driven, passionate people to point the masses in a single direction towards a common goal. Yeah. So how can we, um, how can I, as a friend, keep this thing going, movement going? I think just doing exactly what you're doing right now. I think just keeping these conversations going and asking questions on things you don't know about and, and doing your best to understand. No one expects you. The thing that I think people also need to realize is no one expects anyone to understand what, we go through as African-Americans, no different than I would understand what another race or ethnicity goes through when they are racially profiled in their own way. Cause we all go through it, True, you know? And so like, I can't, even as a minority who is racially profiled myself, it's different mm-hmm. than how an Asian American would be racially profiled or in his, uh, Hispanic American or any other, um, combination. We're all treated differently in a poor way and we can't experience it or understand it from experience. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that, we have to be oblivious to it either. And I think you making the effort to even say, hey, I wasn't raised around this. I don't know what this looks like. I don't know how to go about this. Tell me about it. Teach me, I think is the perfect way to act about it because there's a difference then between that and immediately going, oh man, that's terrible. I completely understand what you're going through, you know, which a lot of people do. And again, their hearts are probably in the right place. I don't want to undermine Mm -hmm. them trying. Right. But at the same time, they don't understand. And it's almost, it's almost patronizing. Mm -hmm. It's almost insulting because we're kind of like, no, you don't like, thank you. But like, no, you don't, you know? Um, So I think just having these types of conversations and keeping the conversation open and going and, and learning and growing in the parts of society that you don't understand is a huge part of it because it spreads, it continues to spread even in silence. Yeah. And you know, it also has to do with the culture in, 
in American culture, you know, you don't just invite a friend over to just sit down like this and say, you know, have conversation and eat lunch. Uh, we just like to do our own thing, you know, very individualistic, capitalistic uh, culture. Yeah. Whereas, so we don't sit down and have these conversations and hear each other's stories. You know, everybody has their own stories and we just need to listen to them and he hear them out so that we can, in hope that we can better understand them, it can, we can better um, serve them and we can be a better friend, you know? And right. that's my intention about doing these, uh, just starting this podcast, just for here stories about everyone else so that I can better understand and I can expand my horizon because ignorance is a bliss, you know, and I believe that everybody has their own unique stories that they want to share. And I just want to give people voice and a platform to, to share about it. And I, I really appreciate that about you because I think one of the things that probably worldwide, but especially in this country, and even I'm not exempt from this, everyone has implicit biases. Yeah. Everyone has things that they think they understand that they don't. Everyone doesn't no one likes to feel like they don't know about something no one likes to feel that they that they're ignorant about something because it brings a guilt factor into it right because mm -hmm. you're like man like how could i not know that but we're there's no way we can know everything there's no way that we can feel everyone's experience and it's it's taking that to heart in a way where you do humble yourself and you say hey i don't understand this explain this to me, talk yeah. to me about it. And just making an effort to have these types of conversations, I think is really important. And I think it's something that our society lacks in hmm. a lot. And I can even attest to that myself, you know, um, I should also be better about having these types of conversations because you're right. Everyone does have a different perspective and a different story. And it, you can learn so much from every person you talk to. If you just are open enough to say, Hey, teach me something. You know, tell me about this. I don't know a lot about this or I do, but I don't under, I don't know it from your perspective. Mm. So how do you see this? You know, yeah. like even I could ask you from someone who doesn't experience this and someone who wasn't raised here, how has the last year been for you with all of, with everything going on? In terms of what? Um, There's so many things that yeah. happened this year. Let's, well, let's keep going with. We can go to COVID in a second. Let's let's keep going with the whole Black Lives Matter thing and the protests and everything, because that's a lot even from someone who understands, let alone someone who has really no idea. Yeah, for me, or experience you know, what's going on. Honestly, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, as a Christian, it really I see it from a spiritual perspective, right? Mm. And for me, the story about um, the prodigal son. Have you heard about that? Of course. Story? Yeah. You know, the pretty much. Uh, long story short, for those you know who is not familiar with this, um, the, the story in the Bible, pretty much there's an elder son and then a younger son, and then the younger son took all the wealth and then you know he squandered it. He and then uh, the older son who did everything right and uh, you know stay with the the dad, and then when the younger son comes back, the old the dad took the younger son back. He gave him all the inheritance, and the older son was like, "Yo, what's going on? You know, um, I had." I, I've obeyed everything. I did everything right. And how comes you accepted, you know, uh, the younger son. And the thing is, so the older son was coming back to the party that the dad was throwing for the younger son. The, the dad says that was at the, at the door because the, young, the older son wouldn't come into the party uh, where the younger son was inside. And then the dad said, hey, could, all dad asked, do you want to come in? As simple as that. So the story pretty much, you know, is saying that the heaven is going to be like, the racism is going to be huge. A bit, it is a, the main issue about you know being in heaven. Think about it. If you're in heaven, if you have to be, if you have to spend with the person that you hate, you know heaven will be hell for you. 
if you're a racist, you're not going to go to heaven. I, I'm just being straight up. If you're a racist, you're not going to go to heaven. Because you go to heaven and you see, you know, these, let's say you're, you're a racist and you see this particular race that you don't want. It's like, oh, these, these, you know, let's just say African-Americans, right? These black people, I don't want to hang out with them. Issue of hate, you know, you need to really, what I learned from this year is that I need to, people need to seek their heart and seek, you know, understand that hate that, you know, all God's going to ask when we go to heaven is like, yo, do you want to come in and spend time with these people? you know, mm-hmm. who looks different than you. That's all he's asking. He's not going to ask you what you did, you know, like how much you paid, how much, you, you know, you prayed to, to him, how much um, you gave away, you know, all your fortune. All he's going to ask is, hey, do you want to spend time with my family? And the Black Lives Matter movement really helped me see that the racism, especially, you know, if you're a listener and if you feel like, you know, you have that, you, you know you're racist, you know, obviously, you know. Um, then ask yourself, like, hey, why? You're not better than anyone else. You need mm-hmm. to understand that God loves you uh, as who you are. God loves everyone else the same way, you know, like who you're not better than anyone else. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I learned. A very important lesson that, that taught me was like, hey, heaven isn't for racist. Um, yeah. It's a really interesting perspective. I've never heard it put like that, but yeah. I, I agree. I think a story speaking biblically and from a Christian perspective that really stuck with me this year um, was the story of the Good Samaritan. Mm. And the reason why is, um, sorry, to, um, to kind of point back to my, everyone has implicit biases. Yeah. Everyone has um, things that they don't like in people or things that they're kind of like, uh, to. No matter how amazing your upbringing was, we all have those things. Um, and they are kind of embarrassing and they, they can make you feel some type of way about yourself, but, um, we can do it. Black lives matter. We can do it based on the election, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But I I think a lot of people look at the Bible and say, how do you apply that to today? Mm. It was so long ago. It was about a different society. It was written for a different society and different cultural beliefs and all this different stuff. What, what does that have to do with me? Right. But you look at the story, like the good Samaritan where you had, um, this person who was on the side of the road and they were be basically left for dead. Right. And you had these religious leaders, I think one priest, one rabbi, and maybe one more that passed by them mm-hmm. and didn't stop, saw him, didn't stop. And the person who was on the side of the road was the hated ethnicity of the day. Mm. Right. Whether that is, a supporter of a certain political group, whether that's a certain ethnicity like African-Americans or Asian-Americans or whatever. Um, and so then the third person came along and he stopped and he was Jewish and he should have hated this person because I might've gotten that mixed up. Maybe he was Samaritan and the person was Jewish. I don't, I'm trying to think of the, yeah. but essentially he shouldn't have stopped culturally. Yeah. And if the story was read aloud, at that time, which it was, everyone in the church would have been shocked that he stopped to help this person because that person wasn't supposed to be hated um, or wasn't supposed to be helped, Mm -hmm. right? And he helped him and he bandaged his wounds and he took him to the inn and he told the innkeeper, I'll be back in a few days. Mm -hmm. Here's wages to cover whatever he needs. And when I come back, I'll pay the difference, right? Yeah. We look at that story and we say, man, how could he have not stopped? He's a person who needs help. I would have stopped for them. Even in our own profession, we're medical workers, right? We're healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. We would have stopped yeah. 
take that person on the side of the road and make it whatever group you have a problem with. Yeah. Even the last election, right? Let's say you are a Democrat and you're like, and you're good to everybody else. Make that a Trump supporter. Mm -hmm. Make that someone who's racist against Burmese people. Yeah. Make that someone racist against African-Americans. Would you stop just because they're a person? But to your point, you know God loves as much as he loves you. Just because out of the goodness of your heart, would you stop and help them? Or would you go, they don't like me though. So I'm going to keep walking, mm. you know? And it's like, I sit here and I've thought about this story a lot this year with everything going on. And truthfully, I don't know if I can answer that question. Mm. And I think not answering it kind of gives my answer away. And yeah. I hate for that to even be the reality, but it's hard. Yeah. It's hard because it makes the story real. And it makes you go, wait, so that's why that's in there. Mm. You can make it about their culture all you want, but people really aren't that different today that they were in biblical times. We just have a different society, but the problems are the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, the, um, the segregations and racism and the hate and all these different problems that we deal with are the same then as they are now. We just don't see them that way because we don't apply them to our life the same way, but they're, they're really no different. Yeah. Just gotta pray for the eyes to see honestly right so we just you know we know like 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 this screen you know we, we try to put these screens and we don't want to see we only pick and choose on right. the bible you know and then we, we don't we try to ignore all these social issues but you know this bible is comprehensive you can't yeah. pick and choose stuff no. um on that note i think that, that was a perfect ending yeah i think we, we could just call it and do you have any platform that you want to share your social media um i could i'd have to spell my last name for my Instagram. Uh, it's okay. But, so that you can spell it so that they can duplicate. check. Okay. <laughs> you had to throw it in there. I threw it I in there. Waiting. Okay. So um, my Instagram for anyone who is interested is T underscore duplication D-U-P-L-E-C-H-A-N 14. Everybody just give Trey a follow. And thank you guys for listening. And I'll catch you guys on the next podcast. Peace. And five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the first episode of the Colorblind Chameleon. I'm your host, Timothy Hain here. And today we have a very special guest, Trey Dubelchan. Thank you for coming, bro. Thanks for having me, man. It's so Trey's uh, the president of the Class of 2022 Physical Therapy Program at Loma Linda University. And also my partner, um, I'm a VP, so he's a president. So how's it going, bro? It's good, man. First week of break, it feels nice. Dude. Yeah, when is, uh, your P1s are coming up, right? In two weeks? Yes, sir. December 14th. 14th. So do you have to work through um, the, the Christmas break? or No. So they um, they gave me Christmas off already uh, because it, it, it's a Friday. So they already didn't have that on my schedule. And then they had Christmas Eve on my schedule. But my PT, my CI, happens to not work Thursdays oh. already. So I get that off too. So I'm really only working like eight days total, I think. Oh, snaps. Yeah. Well, that's fine. Don't worry, don't worry, guys. We're, we're getting the full experience, okay? <laughs> we're going to be great PTs. We're going to be we great promise. PTs. <laughs> yeah, I just got mine clear just today. I start next week, next Monday. Oh, yeah. You're in San Diego, right? San Diego, yeah. The Sharp Grossmont. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, I have to send student health an email because I sent to Lucero my flu shot, mm-hmm. my flu vaccine paperwork um, that I got done at Target for my P1. And she's like, oh, it's approved. Everything's good. But then student health sent an email out for the people they didn't get a flu shot from, and I was on that list. So Dude. Lucero didn't send it to Student Health in time. They, you know, honestly, so no. like Loma Linda and uh, the, the the hospital or, you know, uh, the clinic that you're working with, they don't communicate very well. Yeah. I have to fill out 
like 27 things among 27 12 of them are orientation everything else i have to manually upload all the immunization records yeah i remember you were telling me that yeah and you know pretty much last tuesday before thanksgiving break actually last monday you know they checked everything they approved everything except three of them they checked two of them saying hey we're not gonna accept this you know and then they didn't tell me uh the tb flu shot the last one apparently you need the doctor's note specifically stating that i do not have currently have signs and symptoms of tuberculosis my doctor wrote you know the note stating that hey my lungs are clear there's nothing there that wasn't enough and they didn't check it on monday and they told me um on wednesday stating that hey we're not going to accept this one either they could have just told me on monday you know said hey yeah you know we're not going to accept this you know when they told me the other other two the one that they rejected so I was like, what the heck? So the day before Thanksgiving, like, I was like, yo, what, is gonna, what am I going to do? You know, how am I going to get these uh, rec- uh, um, the letters from my physician and stuff like that? And thankfully, um, he was in a clinic and he wrote, he wrote me. So Oh, cool. But I got home and I was going to upload it. And then because it's Thanksgiving, they took down the website. Oh. So that's why I just got approved yesterday. So I, uh, my CI... Sounds like he's a thousand years old. He sounds like a really nice guy, but like every time I talk to him, I'm just like, he has no idea You're just what's going on. Right? Yeah, I see you, eight bed I see you, and he was telling me that I don't know if it's for notes or what it's for, but he was saying like I need to email because when Lucero sent me my CI's information, it wasn't actually my CI. It was like someone who works with him. I don't actually know who she is um, specifically, but like everything logistically goes through her even though he's technically my ci Mm. and so he was like oh you need to email her about getting you access because every time a student comes it takes like forever to get access to the system and i was like okay so i emailed her and i was like hey i don't really know what he's talking about but he said like i need to go through you it takes a long time like i want to do be proactive this was like before finals week Uh and she still hasn't emailed me back about it so i was going to email her today but like now I don't know. One, I don't even know what he's talking about. Two, I don't even know if there's like enough time. Mm. Now there should be, but like, I don't know if it's for like soap notes or what it's actually for, but he was like concerned about it, but like, I couldn't even tell what he was talking about. He was like being so vague. Like (laughs) you just chew up. Like, Hey, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So speaking of a PT school, bro, COVID online PT school, how's it going with you? Um, I mean, it feels like, we're in American career college all the time. <laughs> I don't know when I made the phone call to the infomercial, but I apparently made the phone call. Um, I mean, even what, even one of our professors, I won't say any names, depending on who listens to this, but one of our professors even called it University of Phoenix at one point when, he, when they were really frustrated with like how Zoom was going and stuff like that, you know? So I think, I think professors and students alike, I think we're all on the same vibe. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. I kind of makes me nervous because I feel like there's a lot of things that we don't get as much practice with mm-hmm. as the years before us. And the professors aren't, they don't hide it. Like there's been a lot of things where they're like, oh, like even in lab, I've noticed they'll be like, oh, we usually spend a lot more time on this, but like we don't have time with this year. So we're just going to do this and like, it'll be fine. And they just kind of like pass it off. And in my head, I'm like, but if it was important enough to spend a lot of time on it, last year what are we missing out on i know right? you know if you don't know what you don't know then you will be fine <laughs> right like it's almost like they know that we're kind of going to be screwed mm-hmm. for a couple of years but they're just like doing what they can and it's not their fault but they 
they kind of play it off really poorly because <laughs> they they almost like they almost are telling us like we're not we can't prepare you the way that we normally would. It's like giving telling us like you got to go practice on your own and like more self-study. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm planning to do. I mean, I'm not sure about you, but I finally just figured like everything out after this quarter, the ortho, mm-hmm. after we went through everything, I, I understand it now, you know, uh, the neurology, right? The thing that we did for the practical from subjective all the way to the intervention one. Mm-hmm. I'm applying that model to the orthos. Mm-hmm. So, so pretty much my plan is like, you know, throughout this break, I'm going to record myself going through all the special tests, clearing tests, all the, you know, practicing like subjective examination, you know, the one that we've been doing, all the video recordings, which I thought were ridiculous too. You know, I was like, oh, this is kind of boring. But now, now that I look back at it, I'm like, okay, maybe it was was beneficial you know tiny bit better than you know nothing you know yeah um but th- those key points that we look for let's say ankle sprain right you know um we're, or heel pain like we're asking like where is the, the location and stuff like that those mm-hmm. key points um i'm just going to review it that's the plan for the next you know after my my uh p1 just record three weeks just review it and i feel like i know you know even though we missed out on the lab i feel like if we keep practicing it, we'll be fine. No. Yeah. Harvey and I, and I think Anthony is going to get in on it too. We're going to start reviewing past quarters, just yeah. like big concepts. Like I think, um, Harvey was texting us that he might start doing therapeutic procedures today. Oh, nice. um, just like big stuff, like, um, where to put the wheelchair for different transfers, how to do different transfers, range of motion for different joints, just like really basic stuff, but stuff that we obviously need to keep up as we move forward. And we're going to do that with, um, past classes because we haven't before over a break but i feel like one it'll come back to us like really quickly if we don't already know it and um it's like it's kind of like being a ta in anatomy like you see it once and you're like oh yeah i remember that and it just like kind of comes back to you but it's just that it's that repetition of like not letting it just like drift off into yeah i agree with you and you know back when COVID started i used to go to the the pt lab Mm -hmm. uh, and then practice they caught up they locked they locked us all out i know i know i you know i understand they're like they don't want us in there without professor supervision outside of lab time because they don't know who we'll be exposing each other to Mm -hmm. uh especially to people that we don't normally have lab with but i think to your point of them wanting us to do more self-practice just because we have half the lab time we don't get exposed to as much stuff or as much practice with stuff i think that alone was super like essential like Mm. even before practical just to have a group of people go to the pc labs and just happen to be there and then you practice with like a bunch of different people or like talk stuff out with a bunch of different people like i feel like that made a huge difference yeah remember the time back in the day to like all right make sure you go around and then just palpate that piriformis or cubic synthesis you know right like you got as many people as Uh possible because I mean, you're, we're going to have patients of all different shapes and sizes. So we were encouraged to practice it on as many different people as possible, different genders, different sizes, like everything. And now we practice on one person. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I know his body from head to toe. Right. I was like, yo, I, I know every. <laughs> right. And then like we have a practical with one person. Yeah. And then it's just like we just move on to the next thing. And it's like everybody's so different, you know? Yeah. Um. Think about it. We're literally, we just finished halfway through PT school. Can you believe that? We just finished yeah, upper halfway. and lower extremity ortho. We just need what spine, right? We just have spine and then we're done. Yeah. Yeah. We have snaps. like, we have cervical spine next quarter. And then I think we have lumbar spine after that. And then like, we're done. 
Wait, we have like separate quarters for a cervical and separate quarter for lumbar? I assume because we have ortho in the winter, but then we have another ortho class in the spring. Oh, dude, that means we're doing the grade five thrust, right? Yeah, we're oh. doing we do a cervical manips next quarter. Yeah, dude, I'm excited for that I one. Know, Can I know, I know. Practice on you, Trish. Yeah. You trust me? I I do. <laughs> oh, thank you. That I means do. a lot. That means a lot. I heard uh I heard last year though because I had some second years who were practicing on me last year. I heard I have very um tight musculature in my neck. Ooh. So we'll see. Um, do you see this right there? I invested in my own lab. I see it. I see it. We have one at my house in uh where I live with um Harvey and them. A game changer, man. I paid 20 bucks for it. Yeah, they're super cheap because they're massage tables. But it's not 20 bucks. So I use all the Amazon Prime rewards. Really? So it's, like, it's like 90 bucks. I'm like, I would just use all my Amazon Prime. But even then, them. like, they're like, they're cheaper than you think they'd be because they're exactly. not like a plinth. They're like massage tables. So they don't cost a lot of money. Speaking of massage, I still need to practice with effleurage and petrissage. I know. You know. I was thinking about that the other the day. The cream is so expensive. That's the main reason why I haven't started yet. The really? cream is like 40 bucks. Yeah. I'm like, why? Yeah, Can I use like olive oil or something? It depends on like, depending on what you massage, it probably goes by really quick too. Yeah. Speaking of um, PT school again, um, you know, because we're halfway through, what were your expectations coming into PT school and you know, what's your reality? Did they match? Um, that's a good question. I think, I think not that it's not hard. I think in my head it was going to be harder. I think to where like, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make it through because you hear so many horror stories wow of grad school you hear so many stories of like you're up all night and you still fail and it's like everything is day to day and it's like it's hard don't get me wrong but i feel like the way our professors teach for the most part we are also prepared for the difficulty like i've there have been very few times where i've gone into an exam or i've gotten through a class and i'm like i wasn't prepared for that you know, it might be hard. I might not do as well as I want to do, but I still feel like I was given a fair opportunity to do well. Mm. And with that, I'm fine. You can make it as hard as you want. But if you teach me and prepare me to succeed, and then all that's left is like my performance, like I can live with that. That's never going to bother me. Do you think the professor have done a good job preparing you, equipping you with the tools to succeed so far? I do. Um, I mean, COVID included. I, this is just as new to them as it is to us. And I think we could all do a better job of keeping that in mind because it, it's, it's hard to think to not make it personal and not make it feel like we're the only ones going through this. You know what I mean? Like they've been teaching for however many years the same way every year and they've had to adjust this year just as much as we have. Yeah. Um, but I think I think for the most part, they've done a great job. Yeah. You know? I agree with you, but at the same time, you know, I don't know if you remember this or not, in the cardio palm lab, right? They give us all these case studies and do, mm -hmm. and they say, do functional exercise and do bed mobility exercise. You know, they never taught us what they mean. I'm not sure about you, but for me, I always struggle that one. This is do bed mobility exercise, do functional exercise. I'm like, they never explained us. Yeah. And if you ask a different professor, you know, they give you different answers and they're like, yeah, depends. You know, I was like, I don't want depends. Tell me what to do. You know, I actually, it's funny you bring that up because I didn't get a solid answer on mm. that until the last practice session before our cardio poem two. Mm. practical and it wasn't even that i asked it was a random like jump in by one of our professors again i'm not gonna say any names <laughs> um but we all know who it was uh it was one of those where 
they jumped in and they were like, Hey, like, let's talk about this. And they came in and they asked me like, what type of functional exercises do you typically give your patients? Like give you, give me some examples. And I named like normal ones, like marches, glute bridges, sit to stands. Like I forgot what I said. I said like three or four things and they went, well, why do you pick those? And I was like, well, because they're good exercises. Like they work, they accomplish the goal. Right. Um, of what we're looking for. And she kind of goes, well, what if you go into a treatment and you say, I'm going to give this patient sister stands and then you go to stand them up and they stand up perfectly fine. Would you still give them sister stands? And I kind of hesitated and she was like, don't you think it would be better if you went through a treatment and you gave exercises based on their weaknesses? She's like, what if you notice that they don't stand up well? What if you notice that they drag their feet when they walk? What if you notice that? Like, she's like, whatever, whatever it may be. They don't move in bed well. She's like, I think it's much better to come up with functional exercises based on a patient's function. If you notice that a patient doesn't stand up well on their own or they need a lot more assistance, then give them sit-to-stands. Have them do the things that they're not good at so that you make them more functional. She's like, that's the point. Like, she goes... You guys are much more valuable than going in with cookie cutter exercises that you give every patient because not every exercise is going to work for every patient. Yeah, I think the problem lies, I guess, not in the functional. I mean, that makes sense, right? I think the problem lies in how they test us. You know, they make us do functional exercise when we don't even know what the patient is lacking. Right. So we're like, okay, what is the right exercise to do? Because we don't know. Right. And I, I think... That explanation alone gave me a lot of clarity. But to your point, I was kind of sitting, I sat back afterwards and I was like, why didn't they tell us that before? Yeah. Like that makes so much sense. But it's like, why am I hearing this now at the end of this second class? Yeah. Of second cardio class. Pump, you exactly. know, um, but then it kind of clicked when I went to my practical and I'm sure not every patient acted like this, but I, I messed it up because she stood and it wasn't until afterwards that. I realized that she was acting weak standing up on purpose. Mm. And then um, afterwards I gave her like not a good exercise or like exercise just kind of off the top of my head. And it was a different professor that was proctoring me than the one that gave me the advice. But she was like, um, she was like, well, why did you choose those exercises? And I was like, I don't know. And then (laughs) she's like, well, she was kind of weak standing. You could have given her sit to stands. And then it clicked. I was like, oh, I should have caught that because I remembered I was like, yeah, "Yeah, her stand was kind of bad, but I, I guess to your point, it didn't click in the moment that like, oh, her stands looked like this. I should probably give her sit to stands to Mm. build her leg strength. So they're expecting us to catch that since last quarter, but you know, none of us picked that up. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, it's like pay attention to what they're doing. Yeah. And then having your back of your head like, hey, this doesn't look right. I should probably give them this exercise because this doesn't look right. Yeah. So so going back, you know, the, the initial question about, you know, preparing us, right? The professor, they do their best. I appreciate that. But sometimes there's still those tiny, just, you know, just a tiny pointers that right. could have made a huge difference in our, you know, uh, while we're taking these lab practicals. And, right. Especially lab practicals, honestly. You know, everything else is like fine. Um you, do you like the online video format that they're doing? Pre-recorded one versus li- live ones? Um, I didn't particularly like it at first. I still, I still would like to be in person if possible, just because I appreciate the 
collaboration of being able to ask questions in person and getting that immediate feedback and having mm. other people ask questions and you hear their questions and you're like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Or like, that's an interesting way to put it. Like there's, to me, in some ways, there's nothing that replaces that group effort towards learning. Um, yeah. Because I think this is true for probably any cohort, but I think ours has a lot of different interesting personalities and a lot of interesting ways to think about things. Um, and we get a lot out of that. And I know I used to learn a lot just from their comments and their feedback that they'd get from professors because we all think differently. That being said, I've kind of fallen in love with being able to schedule my day mm. and schedule my week around when I'm going to listen to certain lectures and when I'm going to study and when I'm going to do other things. And I think it's made it somewhat easier to balance mm. my life and find enjoyment in doing things outside of school because I know when I'm going to be doing things and it's on my time and my schedule and when I'm going to have free time. You're one of those people that I know has all the schedule planned out, like you're going to get these um, section done every day, right? Versus the way I approach is like get these subject done, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, people have different ways of studying it, but I, you know, recently I just started implementing the way, you know, you were studying and I noticed that it made, it made a huge difference, you know, um, in my ability to recall and retain the materials. And... Um, you helped me out a lot too, a lot too you know, with, with all that study guide and stuff. You know, it really helped. Uh, yeah. But I, personally, I like uh, the Zoom format a lot better uh, because, I don't know, while I'm sitting there, just the materials are a lot. Cause sometimes it's complex mm. that if you don't catch the... Because they always build on top of, you know, the previous topic. Yeah. So if you fail to understand this, this topic, you're lost for the rest of the, you know, 30, 40 minutes of lecture. If you're like, mm. what is going on? Like, I can't connect anymore, you know. Uh, so for, you know, PT interventions always lead to this, leads to this, leads to this, leads to this. And if you have a disconnect there, you're lost. And when that happens, I just zone out and I'm like, okay, I'm lost. I don't you know what's going on anymore. So I'm just going to go back home and, you know, study on my own. Um, that, that... That's why I like, you know, P I like the Zoom format better because you can do it on your own time, like you said, plan it out. And then I feel like I, I learn more. If I try to recall stuff we learned you know, in person uh, last year, I, I mean, I can safely say I, I don't think I'm able to recall mature half of it, the yeah. bare minimum, right? Yeah. Versus if you ask me stuff now, I think I'll be able to recall about like 70%, which is, you know, a lot better than um, the in, in person. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Again, depending on how you schedule your week, um, I know that I've really liked the format of getting lectures done a day ahead of time. So if a, a class would have been scheduled on Monday, I get those lectures done on Sunday. And then Monday, in that time block, I can say, okay, I'm going to study this class for two hours. I've already listened to the lecture. Now I'm going to study this lecture for two hours. And it's been... Not that I didn't do that when we were in class in person, but it's tougher because you can't choose that schedule. But now I feel like I can watch a lecture and then make time to study it. And then some weeks, if it's lighter, I can even get, go back and study a lecture a second time. Wow. Um, and it's like, it's been nice to be able to do both, to be able to watch it and be able to rewatch it and look mm. over parts that were confusing, but then actually take time to like intensively study it yeah. after that and have it be like two separate times. Um, and to your point, I think it's really helped with recall for mm. me because you're, you're almost learning it in two different ways. Yeah. You know? Did you, would you say that, you know, because you say your expectations were that it will be a lot harder, but could it also be that, you know, you managed it well? It's not that, you know, materials aren't hard. It's just that, you know, you manage your time very well that, you know, you know, things just fit in place where you, you can do extracurricular stuff on top of just focusing on school. Would you say that? Yeah, I um, 
actually, I absolutely would. I mm. think um, I've had to learn time management getting into grad school and I've had to change that part of my life a lot. I mm. think we all have compared to undergrad. I yeah, mean, speaking of undergrad, let's talk about undergrad. So where did it. you go to undergrad again? So I went to two different universities, technically three, because mm. I was abroad for a semester. Um, but I went to Point Loma Nazarene in San Diego. Uh. Um, and then for a year and a half, and then I was in New Zealand for a semester, and then I transferred to California Baptist University in Riverside. Oh, so in three undergrad? Three mm-hmm. Oh, snaps. Yeah, technically three. So which one did you get a degree from? Uh, California Baptist. Oh, Baptist. Yeah, okay. I went there my last three years because I took five years for my bachelor's. Oh, so. uh, exercise science? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yes, sir. Did you join any, like... Uh, Frat? <laughs> no, they were Christian colleges, oh, so we didn't have frats. Yeah, Christian frats, you know? Yeah. Like, Hallelujah. <laughs> we tried. At Point Loma, we tried. We brought it up to yeah. the administration. They were not very thrilled. You could have Bible idea. studies, you know, in your plan. <laughs> we could. We could. Um, Did you do any sports uh, undergrad? Yeah, I played intramurals. Um, I didn't play any official sports. I played ultimate frisbee mostly. Oh, when I was in San Diego, I played that for pretty much the whole time I was there. I did not know that you um, didn't play during our anatomy. I know I played <laughs> a little bit. You know, I was um, I was sad. They had intramurals actually this past quarter. Um, they started them like midterms week. They were like, oh, we're starting next week. Like make teams, and ultimate frisbee was one of the te- one of the sports that they had. So yeah. I was like, I didn't have time to join a team or anything because it was so last minute, but. Um, I was definitely hyped that they even had that because I haven't played in a few years. You know, the ultimate frisbee is like very intriguing to me. To this day, I still don't know how it works. How many players are in that game? So I believe, oh geez, I should know this. I think <laughs> I should know this. I should. I it's between five and seven. I think it's five per team or per, uh, per team. So oh, okay. it's ten people on the field at a time. I think really anyone. Anyone who plays Ultimate Frisbee regularly, don't quote me and or hate me. Um, it's been a few years, but I think it's it's like basketball. There's five and five, and essentially you have a field. It's basically a football field long, so about 100 yards, and you have end zones. And um, everyone else can move except for the person with the Frisbee. Anyone who – and you can pivot on one foot like in basketball if you have uh-huh. the Frisbee, but you can't walk or run or anything. Um, the person defending the, uh, whoever's holding the Frisbee has to be an arm's distance away. And most leagues play it to where you have to throw it within five seconds and they can count you down um, with like Mississippi. So they count to five Mississippi or seven Mississippi, whatever the rule is. And then you have to throw the Frisbee or else um, the other team gets the Frisbee. Anytime the Frisbee hits the ground, it's a dead Frisbee and the other team automatically gets the Frisbee, no matter who touched it oh. last. If you get thrown the Frisbee, and you're running, you have three steps to stop uh, with the Frisbee in your hand. And then you basically just work your way down the field. And if you catch the Frisbee in the end zone, you score a touchdown or seven points. And then you just go back and forth. And usually there's a time component. Oh. Um, they play for like 30 minutes or whatever. And at the end of time, whoever's up. Unless you get, I think, mercy rule is seven. So if you go up seven, nothing, then like the game ends. <laughs> mercy um, rule. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, it's it's whoever's uh ahead at the end of time oh wow that sounds fun yeah but other than that there's no rules pretty much no other rules Uh um to my understanding it was created up um by uc berkeley and they created it without rules on purpose because they wanted the game they could play where it was just like completely free well what what, did you see berkeley like uh what's that thing that we learned in orthotic you see you see berkeley remember 
the orthotic that we oh yeah i can't remember what it was <laughs> yeah they just like to create stuff and <laughs> name all like yeah 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 they have to put the name in there yeah frisbee you know like first year one of the first years played frisbee i think it's eric right he does right he used to post these videos from like shooting the frisbee and like sniping it like the target all the way across oh that's like um oh it is eric. i appreciate it was eric yeah what's that what's the name for that um but that's for the the game right or is it just specific sport? well that's that's a sport oh you, really? you mean they shoot it with a rifle right? no, no, no 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 not that one uh just frisbee he's just practicing throwing straight across the, oh really the park. yeah maybe maybe he plays ultimate he might play disc golf too disc golf yeah it's another the same thing as frisbee yeah it's 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 played with a frisbee um and it's played where they have like um like chain cages set up mm. that you like try to make it in and that's like your hole in one i've never played so i know i know very little about it but it, i know it takes like a lot of accuracy so you're a single player then um you can play yeah it's single player you can play with a group mm. kind of like normal golf yeah, or yeah like yeah. mini golf almost i think you take turns gotcha um it's not like no running involved. Mm-mm, not that I know of. Yeah, no. yeah. Okay. That sounds fun. Um, did you guys win any tournaments or did you guys go? We uh, took second in our intramural league. And to this day, I think we were cheated um, <laughs> for sure. But but no, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, I miss playing with those guys for sure. Yeah. The San, San Diego, I'm, I'm starting in next week. Next week. Yeah, you're at Sharp, right? Yeah, sure. Which one's your favorite uh, food places uh, in San Diego? Oh, man, I'll have to put you on to some. Yeah. Um, there's a place in... What? Sharp is in... Right by es- the freeway. It's in Escondido? Like La Jolla area? I'm trying to think of where Sharp's at. I think it is, because I remember yeah, seeing it by the freeway. Uh-huh. Um, where they have, like, f- crossover right, by that year. Right, 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 yeah. Um, so you'd be about maybe... a. Th- 30 minute drive from this place, but like, it's a straight shot. It's just farther down the coast. Mm. Um, there's a place in ocean beach called Mike's taco club. Okay. It's like a little shack right by the beach. It's literally like right across the street from the ocean. That is where I take everyone. If I go to San Diego with them, that's the first place I go. Well, what'd you time. get? Um, their carne sada fries mm-hmm. are amazing. Excuse me. Their California burritos are amazing. Um, that's pretty much their fish tacos are really good too. Okay. Pretty. I I've never had a bad thing there. Uh, for sure. But, um, little hole in the wall place, and it, that is my spot. I can't go, go to San Diego to? without going to without going to Mike's. Yeah. Did you uh, Did you cook during uh the undergrad or did you eat out a lot? Um, well, the first half when I was in San Diego, I ate out a lot for sure. Mm. Um, yeah, I was dating someone at the time whose mom worked at the school, so she was around all the time, and she'd bring us food a lot of the oh, time. Wow. Um. <laughs> And then when I went to New Zealand, I cooked a mm. lot. Um, I did go out here and there, but uh, I definitely cooked more there than ever before. Um, you like I, cooking or like food in general? I, I love food. Cooking, I don't not like it. I think I just need to practice more with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not super confident in my cooking skills, so it's not the first thing I turn to. But I think that just comes with time and just doing it over and over again. Do you consider yourself a foodie? For sure. Yeah. What, what are your favorite tiers of food types of food um what is the top tier number one it's probably a tie you know being out here because i can't get soul food all the time Mm. sushi's probably my top if i lived in a place that i could get sushi more or uh soul food more regularly i think soul food would be my top but 
I really want to get that on like holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, Mexican food is up there too. Okay. Depending on what city I'm in. Any Chinese food? Chinese food's cool. I don't, again, I don't, um, there's not a lot of good spots out here mm, and I didn't grow true. up like going to LA a lot and stuff. So, yeah. um, I haven't, I haven't experienced a lot of good, like authentic Chinese food, but speaking of that, where'd you grow up? Riverside, Riverside, California. Yes, sir. Nice. Born and raised. Where'd you go to high school? Uh, Martin Luther King high school in Riverside. Is that a private school? Um, no, it's a public school. They call it um, Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Oh. Martin Luther King junior high school. Um, it's funny. We would always get made fun of for being the widest school in Riverside. So mm. the name was always really ironic to me. Yeah. Um, the high school was, I was, I was just looking back at the high school yearbook just like a couple of days ago. I was like, you know, things have changed. So we're almost at like the, the reunion coming up in two years. Uh, wait, when did you graduate? 2013? 2014. I was same as mine too. Yeah. 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 The so, reunion's coming up. 2024. Oh yeah. yeah. That's four years. Four years. Oh, my I was like two years. Two, Don't wait. tell me I'm that old. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, three or four years. You playing sports back like in high school? I wrestled. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. You have like how many degrees black belt? Uh, three. Three. De- yeah. So how many degrees are like the max degrees you can get? So I have a third degree black belt in Taekwondo. Um, most companies it depends because there's different companies of Taekwondo. The one that I was in growing up, for the most part, there's really eight degrees. Um, there was only one ninth degree at a time, and it was the grandmaster of the company. Hmm. Um, so there was only one at a time, and then whenever they retired or passed away, the next one was named, and they were the only ninth degree, and then there hmm. was eighth and down. Um, sixth degree and on are considered masters, and you had to be 21 to be a sixth degree, okay. if I'm not mistaken. Um, or maybe that was fourth degree. It was fourth degree. Sixth degree doesn't have an age because fourth degree does. So the reason why I didn't get my fourth degree is I was a third degree by the time I was 12. Mm. And so I would have to wait like another nine years. Wait, to you test have your third my... degree by 12? Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah. I started... nobody, nobody messed with you back in middle school then, right? <laughs> yeah, not a lot. Not a lot. I uh, I started when I was six. Were you tall back in middle school? No, no. I was like five foot. Five oh, one. I was tiny. So yeah. you 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 uh, up in the high school then. Oh yeah, I was by the end of my freshman year, I was five seven. I grew like six or seven inches. Five seven um, freshman, yo. Yeah, that's, I was, that's a dream. I was big, and then uh, sophomore year was about the same. I maybe grew like an inch, and then junior year, I think I grew my last two or three inches, and I've been this height pretty much ever since. Dude, speaking of uh, the taekwondo, right? Mm-hmm. Taekwondo. Did you, did you watch the the boxing match? Uh, with Tyson? Tyson, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. Yeah, I caught it. What, what'd you think? You know, I was... Impressed? No. No? I was kind of disappointed. Um, I think that... Um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Roy. Roy Jones Jr., thank you. I, I, okay, so you can educate me who Roy Jones Jr. is. You know, like, he, I heard, like, he's a champion. Like, all I know is just Mike Tyson, so... He was... He came after Mike Tyson, not long after... Um, but he came a little after and he actually started at a middleweight mm. and then was the champion in four different weight classes all the way up to heavyweight. Wow. And so he was the man of his day for sure. But he was a guy who won a lot on speed and elusiveness. He had really good footwork and he mm. was usually faster than his opponents and he had better defense than his opponents and he had knockout power, but he wasn't that I'm going to come forward one shot knockout type of guy. <laughs> he usually outboxed people. <laughs> Which is why people were so interested in this Mike Tyson fight yeah. because they were so such polar opposites, um, and you know I didn't want Roy 
to fight the way he did, I understand why he did. Because he was scared, right? He just, I mean, I think he's at the age where what made him great isn't there anymore the mm. way that it used to be. He doesn't have the, the footwork speed, he used right? to have. He doesn't have the speed advantage True. he used to have. And so he couldn't outbox Mike the yeah. way that he would back in the day. And True. he didn't want to get his head taken off. So he was like, <laughs> I'm just going to hug him. Right. I'm going to make him. I think what he was trying to do is he was trying to make him bear his weight and carry him around the ring and tire him out, hopefully, and then try to mm. outbox him in the later rounds. I think that's what his plan was. And it's funny. There was an interview weeks before the fight. It might have been even a month or more before the fight that they were asking him. Um, they were asking Roy what he felt going into the fight. And at first, when they first brought the fight to him, it was going to be on three weeks notice. And Whoa. Roy Jones's last fight was in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. He had boxed pretty recently. Really? And Mike's last fight was over 15 years ago. And so Roy said in the interview, you know, I was really hyped up when they first brought it to my attention three weeks notice because I knew that Mike hadn't fought in a long time. Mm. And I wanted to catch him out of shape because I was going to be basically like, I don't think he said this, but he basically alluded to the fact that like he would have been scared of Mike if Mike was in shape. And then they said, we're going to give him a full fight camp. And Roy tried to pull out of the fight because he's like, I don't want to fight Mike Tyson on a full camp. Because what I does think, full camp mean? Like, uh, training for a fight for eight weeks or more. Oh, so okay, if okay. basically letting Mike Tyson get back into shape, he was like, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. I'd rather fight Mike like off the couch yeah, because yeah, I yeah. have a better shot if Mike's mm. not in shape because I've boxed a lot more recently than he has. Yeah. And so when they brought up the full camp scenario, Roy was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and then they brought the money for it and they were like, well, you're going to make this. And he was like, all right, all right, like I'll do it type of thing. But he was already hesitant from the jump. True. Okay. Fighting Mike Tyson if Mike Tyson had time to train. Mm. And so I think that was playing in his head yeah. the whole time. Like Mike's going to get back into shape. Yeah. He's a scary guy type of thing. Um, and so he probably came up with the strategy of tiring him out. Yeah. I don't, th I don't think he wanted to try to fight him the way that he used to. Cause he probably would have been hurt. Yeah. Quickly. Did, did Mike get to a full eight weeks of training camp? Yeah. Yeah. No one, I can see that. I was like, when he was like doing, I was like, Oh snap, yeah. he's going in. He's so quick for and, sure. You know, the, the funny part is if you actually listen, because you know, there's no audience there, everything that they see pick up, uh, from the mic. Mm -hmm. So when, uh, Roy was, every time Roy was hugging and then the referees that move away, like, Dude, he's going to knock me out. Yeah. <laughs> he knows that, yeah. you know, he has to do that. Otherwise, Boom. Like, yeah. his head's going to be off. I was kind of disappointed. Um, At who? Well, they... Th I think they planned the draw ahead of time. I think so, too. Do you think Mike was holding back? I feel like Mike was holding back. Well, not even that. I heard uh, the next day, they yeah. released the judges' scorecards. And on the scorecards, Tyson won. Yeah, definitely. But then they announced it a draw. Mm -hmm. So I think they wanted... They knew they were going to make a second one, yeah. but I feel like they could have let Tyson one and still done a second one. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, a charity, probably. It, it is because yeah. it was exhibition, but still, I I don't know. Um, I'm a purist of the sport, and it's like if you're going to get two legends in there like that, like make it real. Do mm. a second one if you want to, but don't like make it a joke. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, everyone gets a medal, everyone gets a belt, like they get yeah, participation yeah. trophies. Like I don't know, it was. So it was you, for charity and it was fun, but it was kind of disappointing in that way. Do you kind of feel like it's kind of a Mike Bragger versus a Mayweather sort of thing? Do you? No, that one was real. That was a real fight. That was an exhibition. I, I know, but like in terms of like, you know, Mayweather wasn't even like boxing. It was just like, 
Actually, no, that's a bad comparison. You know, the other guy doesn't know how to box. So yeah, I mean, they they're twine. That one was different, but that's true. I mean, how do you think? Uh, what do you think of Jake Paul and Nate Robinson? <laughs> I like Snoop's uh, commentary uh, more. That was great. Oh lord. <laughs> That was really funny. He was praying for it. He was ready. And then, like, he got back up. He's like, all right. <laughs> he got yeah, knocked yeah, out. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, Snoop prayed for him before he got knocked well, out. I didn't know. Um, I didn't realize how serious Jake was. Was he serious? About making this a career. Yeah, he was serious? He wants to be a professional boxer, yeah. Did he get that tattoo after he started uh, boxing? Or did he already always had that? I think he had it. Or I think he got it after his oh, first fight. Yeah. And, um, really? I mean, obviously, he's calling out Din- Dylan Dennis and Conor McGregor and all these people, um, which, I mean, hop in your bag, right? Do what you got to do. Yeah. They're not going to set him up before he's ready, but um, it's one of those things. I was actually listening to Chael Sonnen made a YouTube video responding to that, mm-hmm. um, and they, he was like, everyone wants to hate on him for calling out Conor McGregor and Dylan Dennis and saying, like, there's no way he's ready and this and that. And he kind of said, you know, whose business is that but his own? True. If he wants to call out people that he's not ready for, mm-hmm. then let him get slaughtered. True. You'll be right. Like that that's all it'll show is that you'll be right that he's not ready for that. But if he's trying to make this a career, yeah. you gotta look at him as any other boxer. He's gonna call out people that he's not ready for because that's how you make a name for yourself. You get in headlines, you make mm. the news. If he's not ready for someone and they set him up with Conor McGregor and he gets destroyed, then let him get destroyed. Like there's no reason to hate on him for it. Do you think people are mad at him because, you know, a lot of the boxers they train for the whole life, you know, since they were a kid to yeah. get the reputation, whereas Jake Paul, you know, he already has his fame and fortune, you know. So every time he boxed, he makes millions. Do you think that's why people are mad at him? I think that's part of it. You know, there is a um a purist almost respect aspect to it that people dedicate their whole life mm, for to the this. sports of boxing. Right. right? And, yeah. and he is just kind of jumping into it. But again, if he wants to get in the kitchen and cook Go and ahead. he gets burned, yeah, then funny. he'll either learn from it and keep coming back and earn his respect or he'll get out of the sport when he realizes he bit off more than he can chew. But at the end of the day, I think you kind of got to let him do that. You know, yeah. if, if it really takes dedicating your whole life, and he'll never amount to anything. Yeah. And then just let him not amount to anything. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, then he'll be a meme in a couple of years. But like, I, I guess don't shut him out just because he's trying to prove himself. Mm. If your theory is right that you have to dedicate your whole life and it takes this much time and this and that, then let him prove you right. Yeah. You know? I agree with you. Yes. You, you, you have, so you played taekwondo and boxing, right? Both of them. Mm-hmm. How many do you have boxing? Do they have ranks? No, they yeah, they have. Box, right? yeah, yeah, I never competed either. I um, it's kind of funny. So I started taekwondo, like I said, when I was six. I trained for. I mean, I'm still technically training. Um, but I started boxing when I was eleven or mm. so. Um, I had just finished a really intense year of competing in taekwondo. Um, went to the world championships and stuff like that. Uh, World I Championship? Just, I did. Uh, you're not going to, excuse me, you're not going to just uh, <laughs> skip over the like if nothing just <laughs> happened. Go back, go uh, back. What's World Championship? Think about World Championship. Um, so, yeah, so I was a part of the American Taekwondo Association, which isn't the same company that goes to the Olympics. Um, there's a whole backstory there of how that company became its own that I would probably have to research to tell appropriately. Um, I know bits and pieces, but yeah, so the year of 2007, I was 10. Um, and I won the state championship in all three 
events for my age category and belt rank, I was uh, eight to 10, second and third degree black belts. Wow. If I remember correctly. So I won the state championship there and then I qualified for um, the world championships in the weapons competition. Weapons um, too? Yes, sir. Wait, what, 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 which weapons do you know how to use? Um, I know single nunchuck, double nunchuck, single stick, double stick. Mid-range bow staff and long bow staff. Oh, snaps. Um, I, I train sword a little bit. Not enough for me to say that I know how to use it. Uh, are um, you uh, classified as, you know, weapon of mass destruction? Whatever I'd, they call it. I am uh, a registered lethal weapon. Yeah, oh, snap. I am. Really? Mm-hmm. That's so, crazy. Yeah, so I've had to... Growing up, I had to learn how to talk my way out of things um, <laughs> because people learn that you're a black belt and kids being kids, you know, they test you and try yeah. to see what you're made of. So, but, but so you, if you were to, so how does that work? You know, I know it's a thing, right? The register lethal mm-hmm. weapon. So you're not allowed to get in fights because if you do that, so with the deadly weapon. Yeah. I don't know the exact ins and outs of it. I mean, obviously it was a much bigger deal when I was a kid yeah. um, than it is now. But uh, growing up, my dad was always just like, just don't. Just don't. If someone <laughs> if someone touches you first or hits you first, you have the right to defend yourself. But mm. um, for him, it was always like, don't show that you did anything. Mm. Don't try not to make bruises. Try not to cut them. Yeah. Try not to break anything. Like anything that they could take the court and say, like, he did this. Uh, he was always like, try to make it as clean as possible. It's like um, one shot. Yeah, just like so they don't have anything on you. Do you have a strategy? Let's say, you know, if somebody approaches you, what is your go-to, you know, um, suppression um, it depends. Chokehold or knockout? I, um, it really depends on what they do. Mm. Um, it's very reactionary, but I try to, if anything, I like going to joint locks a lot for mm. that reason. It doesn't show anything and it, it's painful and it's quick and it, it gets you out of the situation. Um, I also like going to the ground. Usually I like takedowns a lot. Um, I mean that I did wrestle in high school, but part of the reason why I like going to takedowns first is I feel like people like sometimes, Oh, a lot of times the hardest people fight, even in organized fighting sports are the people that have never trained before. Um, because you train to see certain things, you train to react to certain things and people who have never done it or don't know what they're doing, do things that you're not prepared for because they're just throwing stuff. And no matter how trained you are, anyone can get caught by a lucky shot. Mm. anyone can get knocked out by something can get hit by something and it still hurts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I feel like on the ground people just panic. A lot of people haven't trained ground fighting. Yeah. And if you're just trying to remove yourself from a situation or control a situation as quickly as possible, if you know what to do on the ground and someone doesn't, you have a much better chance of being able to control that situation than if you're standing with someone even if you know what you're doing bro that's gonna be me every time i'm on the ground i'm just gonna you know, get a fetal position and just... right people panic they don't know what to do they hit the do. ground and they're just like yeah. you know what i mean um and you don't have to hurt them but you can put them in a chokehold you can control their arms you can mm. control their legs you can neutralize the situation i feel like a lot more controllably and easily than yeah. if someone's standing with you and they throw a lucky haymaker and you happen not to catch it yeah that's true i'm sorry to cut you off uh you're explaining about the world champion leading up to that did you want a state championship and then what what happened after um so i went to the world championships um for where is that where's it held <laughs> little rock arkansas oh. as pretty as that is yeah <laughs> Arca- oh, oh i remember place. that story isn't that that one story you're talking about I was, it might have been yeah I probably I told so. the story at some point so uh-huh. the story goes that i was told is the original grandmaster of this company came to the united states from korea 
And his explanation was that the trees in Arkansas reminded him of the trees in Korea. And so he made the headquarters for the company in Arkansas and they've never moved. Um, and so the world championships are still held there to this day. Their world headquarters for the company are still there. Mm. Um, I don't know what trees he was talking about, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I've also never been to Korea. So maybe, maybe there are some trees that look similar. Um, but yeah, so I, I went there and it was a really great experience. So basically how it works is the, the, um, world championships are in June, late Mm. June and, you have the world championships on Friday and Saturday, and then the competition circuit for the following year starts that Sunday. Mm. And so you just stay the whole three days. Um, I think actually world championships are Thursday, Friday, Saturday, now that I think about it. And then Sunday starts the new year. So you compete in the world championships. And then if you want to compete the next year, the first tournament of the year starts the next day. So, so people then, like from the entire world come there? Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. We had, um, it wasn't very big. When I was there, it was it was pretty early, but now there's people from all over the world. We had a, a couple of kids. We had one kid from South Africa in my ring. We had another Whoa. kid from Brazil in my ring. Mm. Um, that was kind of cool. But now there's there's schools all over the place. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to complete compete in sparring really bad. I didn't quite qualify. Um, I can get into qualifications if you want. It's it gets kind of complex, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I took sixth weapons which was kind of cool mm. um so i got like this cute little pin that they gave me i still have it somewhere nice but um yeah so after that i uh i was just burned out i was burned out from competing mm. I, I felt like i was doing the same thing all the time i mean i was training five six days a week every week two to three times a day um and so i wanted something different so i got into boxing and it was really fun it was something different it was new um and my coach wanted me to compete really bad and he would ask me every training session and tell my dad like i need him on the competition team and quite honestly, I was scared of getting punched in the face. I didn't like it. Because in Taekwondo, you can't you can't punch to the face. You can kick to the face, but you can't mm. punch to the face. And so it scared me. Kick to the face? Yeah, that was fine. That's worse. That was all good. <laughs> I, can, I can block that. I'm used to that punching to the face. It, it felt too close. It freaked me out. And so I, I competed in one fight, and I won. And after that, I was, I was done. I never wanted to actually formally compete. <laughs> did you kick him in the face? I did not. <laughs> um, I did not, thankfully. But that's crazy. So you always had that discipline, you know, and then since you were young in terms of like, you know, uh, having a schedule, you know, going with a schedule to train Mm -hmm. and how like, you know, you're a very smart person, you know, uh, one of the smartest people that I know. So have you have you always been academically inclined since, you know, you were uh, kindergarten and middle school or do you just pick it up? In grad school? You know, I've always been good in school. Mm. That's funny you ask you that. I always have been. Actually, I'm going to take a drink, too. There you go. That, that, that's some drink, like podcast stuff. <laughs> you know, a little ASMR. Um, ASMR, hi. No. Um, yeah, I've always been good in school. Um, and, you know, I, tr- I attribute that a lot to my parents. Mm-hmm. They, um, they always instilled in me getting good grades. Yeah. They always knew what I was capable of, and um, they never accepted anything less. They were never super tough on me, but... Um, if I brought home like a B in a class that they knew I was good in, they were even when I was little. Yeah. I remember, man, I was young. I was maybe fifth, sixth grade, mm. um, and I remember I got like a B on a math test, yeah. and I cried in class. And all my friends were looking at me like, "Why are you crying? You got like an 88 <laughs> on this test." And I was like devastated. I was shattered by that. How many? Like, what's the distribution of like I guess races in uh in your high school or middle school? Um. It was a lot of white, but it was it was a pretty decent 
melting pot. Mm. We, we had representation from everywhere. Um, definitely more white and Hispanic than anything else, but, mm. um, it's Riverside, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, Riverside's so big. There's, there's pockets of mainly Hispanic. There's pocket, mm. pockets of mainly black. There's pockets of mainly white. And then there's, there's pockets that are mixed together decently well. We, um, we had those in back in, uh, my high school too. We had this Asian tree. And we have that gum tree where all the emos hang out with the, the rock stars or the punk rocks and stuff. Yeah. And we have these like the senior tree where all the seniors just hang out. We have the football trees and, you know, all, all the, the buff dudes hang out. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like that, right? You guys have that in, oh, in yeah. high school? Yeah, we had, um, man, I'm going to expose my high school right now. We we're probably pretty mean. Um, <laughs> there, yeah, there was the building, the language arts building where all the Hispanic kids hung out we called it little mexico <laughs> and everyone knew where it was and everyone knew who hung out there little mexico um we had the area where all the black kids hung out for sure we had the tables in the quad where all the football kids and cheerleaders and dancers hung out we had um our theater was up on a hill it was like a big hill in the middle of campus so we yeah. called it theater hill because all the theater kids and choir kids would hang out up mm. there um yeah, we definitely, we had areas too, where if you knew what group a person hung out in, you knew where to find them. Dude, like you said, Little Mexico, that's so funny because that would, that would make our Northview High School freaking Mexico itself. <laughs> it's like Hispanic, I hate 80% Hispanics. Really? Yeah, that, that, that's where my school was. So I was like, you know, when I moved here, I was just talking, I didn't have any friends, right? When I moved here, like I started at freshman years. Yeah. So I was going around just talking to these different groups, trying to fit in because I didn't even know how to speak English that well back then. So I was in this, this guy's like, hey, what's up, Essay? Come here. It's like, it's, hi, I'm, I'm Tim. And it's like, hey, what's up? Let me teach you how to do some the handshake. He taught me that, you know, uh, what's the handshake called? Like the, the one that Cholos is like, clap, 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 and then I don't know the name for it. There's, the, uh, yeah, he taught me all the cholo handshakes, mm -hmm. and you know, he's trying to like, you know, trying to make fun of me because you know, I'm an Asian kid who doesn't know how to speak English. But then, you know, <laughs> but you know, for me, I just, you know, it was my strategy to survive, right? So I was going around different groups, hanging out all these the rock bands because I know C chord on the piano. So I'm like, hey, I know how to play music. So I hang out, with, <laughs> hang out with all the, all the punk rock bands, and then I'll, like two two days later, I'm like, okay, this is not working out. You know, like I'm not fitting it in. Like it took me like two years, you know, to finally belong to that i guess asian i always like fall back to the asian yeah. niche um so yeah high school was like very <laughs> oh my goodness this funnier thing is that i was looking at my high school yearbook and it says most like most likely to get um arrested and it's a picture of like this one black woman <laughs> and then one this cholo <laughs> And the most likely to become successful <laughs> to Asian kids. I was like, wait, high school was so racist. How that's, did you get that's passed? That's so funny. I was like, wait a minute. Like, looking back, you know, 2020, I was like, wait, like, th this thing has been going on since, yeah. like, you know, racism no, stuff. That's and so funny. It's an accumulation, you know, like, it, like it was it was there since the beginning. I don't know if you want to talk about, you know, the deeper stuff about, you know, all the things that's going on with the racism and stuff. Whatever you want, man. So I remember you talking about your experience um, with your mom uh, at the competition or something. Yeah. Which one was it? So, well, there's a few. I mean, there was, I learned, that was probably about the time that I, I really experienced racism for the first time in my life. I had heard things from my dad mm -hmm. um, growing up with a black dad, but... Um, I know when I was that same year, 2007, when I would travel. So basically I was in fifth grade and my fifth grade teacher, bless him. He made it all possible, honestly, but I would essentially miss class 
almost every Friday because um, I would have to fly. Competition was on Saturday morning. So we would fly to wherever we needed to go or drive to Vegas or wherever um, for the competition, get there Friday night, go to sleep, wake up the next morning. Opening ceremonies was usually around um, 6 or 7 a.m. on Saturday. Um, and there came a point where we needed to start going to competitions a little farther away um, to collect points towards qualifying for Worlds and to win the state championship. Um, because essentially you won the state championship based on your track record throughout the year. So depending on how big the tournament is it's and what place you get, you get a certain amount of points. And then whoever has the most points in state um, for your category wins the state title that year. So it's, it's a, an accumulation um, throughout the year. And for Worlds, it's kind of the same thing, but you don't, you can't compete in as many competitions as you want. Only certain, a certain number of each level of competition counts towards Worlds. And then at the end of the year, the top 10 uh, point accumulations for your category go to the World Championship. Mm. Um, so we started having to go a little farther away to bigger tournaments in the South and uh, slightly bigger states. And there, there were certain places where my mom wouldn't come with us. Mm. And I, I thought it was weird at first because we always did everything together, like us three. And I, and so I started asking, like, why can't mom come with us? And my dad had to, like, sit me down and tell mm. me, like, there are places where they wouldn't find our family okay. Mm. And because it's just us two, it's still somewhat dangerous, but it's better than having mom with us. And so there were just certain places that, like, my mom would stay home and she would only make plane tickets for the two of us. Um, and even then, my dad and I still definitely saw some stuff you said uh, your mom is jewish right she is half um, jewish half irish oh well also oh, that's even that is a problem it's not being african-american it's just like being half jewish is a problem in the south no it's it's that she is a white woman who married, married into a black oh, family wow. that's really the problem yeah okay yeah like i mean i didn't grow up i mean even here right I moved here and my school is 80% Hispanic. So there were like very few African-American population there. So I never took these things seriously. Right. You know, it was ignorance because of the environment that I grew up in, you know? Yeah. So that's why when all these things going on this year, I was like, you know, I need to educate myself. I need to, now that I'm not ignorant anymore in terms of like, you know, I'm aware of these issues that are going on you know, thinking to myself, like, what can I do actively to really address these issues, make, effort right to get to hear uh people who are from african-american descent the experiences they go through so that i can be a better friend to them and then mm -hmm. you know i can understand where they're coming from so that i can be a better friend you're my only black friend like honestly you know yeah. um I, we call we the reason why i want to start this podcast is i want to have the deeper connection with friendship we call us our friends right but with the covid thing we don't get to hang out anymore we're always on zoom and we don't spend time and once this school is over we're all going to be busy and then we won't have time to spend uh anymore just yeah. like this type of thing we won't have time so that's why i'm hey while i have time i want to make effort to reach out to my friends and then um just effort just 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 make an effort at least just talk to them so that we can our bonds can get stronger yeah. and then you know i can get to know you better too so that you don't you don't think that oh uh, tim does, is ignorant or he doesn't care you know no. i don't always think that yeah but uh yeah racism man like this year has been tough um how is that going how are you feeling uh, is it you know it's um 
a lot of people aren't posting anything anymore, you know, it's, if you notice that. It's interesting you bring that up. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you bring that up. I was actually going to go there. Um, you know, it's it's hard, man. It's, it's hard because you want to believe that people are coming from the right place. And I do. I give them the benefit of the doubt and I appreciate all of the love and support and vigilance that I've seen this year with the Black Lives Matter movement and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all these different things. It's, it's been amazing, Mm -hmm. right? The protests have been amazing. They were literally worldwide in a way that we've never seen before um, in the history of this earth. I mean, even the civil rights movement in the sixties, I obviously wasn't there, but you don't hear about it from a world's perspective. You hear about it from um, the March on Washington and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and all these amazing leaders, but it was here, you know, it was in the United States. Um, and there was obviously not everyone was behind it. It worked out, but um, and not everyone was behind this one either. But just seeing it on a worldwide scale, different countries protesting, different countries flying the Black Lives Matter flag and, and speaking out and having um, all these things. It was very empowering and very mm. inspiring. And it felt like we were being supported in a big way for the first time. But there was always this little skeptical yeah. voice in the back of my head. That will it fade that away. Said, right. That that kind of said, what happens when it's not viral anymore? Mm. What happens when it doesn't get people likes on Instagram? What happens when it doesn't get people views on TikTok? What happens when the protests stop doing things? Because mm. pe- I think people really went into it thinking they're going to make a huge difference and there's going to be laws and the police are going to be overthrown and there's going to be all this different stuff. And they kind of saw firsthand what african-americans in my opinion go through where it fizzles out and the people who are really in charge if they wanted to make a difference they could but they don't want to and that's like it's it's hard to say that it, it, it like it almost gets caught in my throat yeah but people who have the power to do it could do something yeah. but for whatever reason they haven't and the reasons behind that who knows? You know, I, I can speak to it, but it's all um, it's all um, guesswork. It's uh, it's not it wouldn't be factual. And so I don't want to speak to that too much in detail. But it's one of the things. I mean, Trayvon Martin's a perfect example. I don't know if you remember the the killing of Trayvon Martin. The one that shot in the back? He, no, he was this was 2010. So this was oh, 10 okay. years I, ago I now. Um, and he was 14, if I'm not mistaken. And long story short, he was walking around this neighborhood. I don't think he lived there. I don't remember, but he was looking into people's windows and he wasn't doing anything illegal, but being a little sketchy. Mm. Um, And the captain of the neighborhood watch, George Zimmerman, was patrolling and Mm. saw him. And instead of calling the police, took it upon himself to approach the young man and try to get him to leave and push came to shove and it, it got violent. And from all reports, he started the physical altercation. I'm not a hundred percent on that. It's mm. been some years that I have since I read on it, but he started the physical altercation and he started losing said physical altercation. Mm. And he pulled out a gun and shot Trayvon and mm. killed him. And it was in Florida. And in Florida, you have a law called the stand your ground law, which basically states that if you are being attacked and feel that your life is in danger, you can defend yourself lethally and mm. get away with it. And so all charges were dropped and he was released and didn't spend a day in prison. And 
he never had a hospital stay. He never had any lethal injuries or near lethal injuries. Yeah. Um, he didn't, nothing pointed to the fact or to the idea factually that his life was ever in danger. Mm. It was all an idea and the courts bought it. And that's really what kind of ignited this black lives matter movement idea in the black community. I mean, there were shirts and there was, there wasn't protests to where we saw them in 2020, but it was like, um, it was kind of the same feel Mm. right in our community. And no one really jumped on the train the same way. But the point is, that's where it started. Mm. And it's been going and going and going for 10 years. And it kind of blew up in a head. And I think part of it was there was a video yeah. with George Floyd. And so people saw it. And they mm. were like, wow, they're not exaggerating this. Yeah. But to us, it was like, we've been doing this. Mm. This isn't new to us. So how long are you going to be in this fight with us? Because you've watched us do this for 10 yeah. plus years. And you're just getting involved now. Is this for real or is this just because it's making headlines right now? And I think to your point, kind of getting that answer. Yeah. You know, because it's definitely fizzled out and it's definitely slowed down. Like how many more, right? Right. Like how many more of these videos? Right. Yeah. Right. It's like a trend now. It's like, oh, okay, he gets killed. He gets killed. He gets killed. every six months. Like, right. That is not, you know, the right. way to go. And that's not new. I think that people saw it and their hearts were in the right place, but they didn't realize because they've, they've probably never been there that again, it doesn't change a lot, mm. right? You protest and you feel good and you're like, this is going to do something. And then just kind of, I mean, the people who really could make a difference just kind of waited out and they're like, they can't protest forever. Yeah. And you know what I mean? On top of that, the people that killed George, George Floyd, he didn't, he's still on the case, right? He hasn't, um, he got released on bail. Last I checked. That's it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They all did. All the police officers there got put on like a $2 million bail or something insane yeah, like that. somebody paid him, And right? they paid it. Mm-hmm. And that's the last I heard. I don't think... But bail means that he still got to go to court, right? Right. But it's it extends it. And again, I don't want to speak out of turn because I haven't researched it yeah. extensively lately. But what I do know is the officer that was in the video um, that did end up killing him had over 10 previous police brutality convictions Mm -hmm. over 10 and he was still on the streets operating normally yeah and it's like no none of them had turned out fatally but part of me just kind of went what do you what did you expect you know this was obviously a problem and it wasn't addressed correctly because he felt that he could do that over 10 times yeah and now we jump on his back because he killed someone. But what about the other nine, nine times? Yeah. You know, like what was done? What was said? Anything? Was it just written down? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's it's weird. It's a weird space. Um, and I think part of the reason why it's kind of slowed down is people have a lot of passion. Yeah. They don't know what they want to do with it. And how are they going to do with it? Right. There was never a goal. Mm -hmm. There was never a, this is what we need to do and this is how we're going to do it. And I think part of that is we didn't have a leader. Yeah. We didn't have a Martin Luther King. Yeah. We didn't have a a Malcolm X. We didn't have someone to stand up in front of this crowd and say, this is what we need to aim for. And this is how we're going to do it. We were just people who were emotional and rightfully so. But when you act out of emotion, everyone has different ideas. Yeah. Whether that's looting, saying, oh, let's go loot the rich stores because they have all the money. What do they need all that money for? Mm -hmm. You know, that's okay, fine. But what does that accomplish us in the greater scheme of things? Let's, some said, let's defund the police. 
And um, I'm probably going to make a lot of African-Americans upset when I say this, but I don't agree with that idea. Personally, mm-hmm. I don't at all. I think it's aiming for a goal that doesn't accomplish solving that problem of yeah. police brutality and accountability at all. What I heard from that argument was let's defund the police and put that money into other things like schools and orphanages and other things in society that are criminally underfunded. Mm. Okay. I agree. Those things are criminally underfunded. Do I think that we need to set up programs to get better funding to those places? Absolutely. Does that aim to solve the problem of police brutality? No, no, because what's going to solve police brutality money first, Whatever plan we come up with, it's going to cost something, right? So does taking money out of the police system and funneling into other programs solve the problem that you're protesting for? Not to me. And that's where I'm like, okay, your heart's in the right place, but what are we aiming for? What's our goal? Because right now you're just spouting different ideas and that's going to cause it to fizzle out because there's no progress. There's no way to track it. There's no accountability in that sense of what we're accomplishing. We're just upset which so you're trying to say is that you don't see the solution of like how to solve this what do you is there a solution that in your mind i think it starts with accountability Mm. of police officers i think that they for the most part see themselves as above the law and i think they are a brotherhood who protects their own Mm. and i think even the higher-ups in a lot of different places are corrupt not everywhere Mm -hmm. but in enough places that to your point these videos keep popping up yeah and you don't hear a lot being done how we get there is another conversation that i don't feel i have the authority nor the expertise to make that call i don't know what that looks like Mm. um i think that there needs to be some type of way to hold officers accountable for their actions no different than normal citizens i think that they are not afraid of the consequences and so if they feel certain ways or they racially profile or whatever Mm -hmm. they don't the the risk is never bigger than the reward yeah for them true they feel like they can act however they want and it'll work out and it'll be fine and nine times out of ten is Mm mm-hmm and they don't have to worry about it. That's why racism is an issue of the heart, man. Like, it's an issue of a heart where there's no logic to it. You know, I mean, even I don't know about. I mean, I'm not trying to downplay. You know, what African Americans no, going no, no. through, but like in Asia, Asians are like hella racist, bro. I grew up in a racist environment. I'm Burmese, right? And we have these minorities, Indians, that are there. Because we racially profile them. We even have the N-word for them in Burmese. And uh, peop- every time we try to talk down on people, we use that word. Say, mm. Same Bur- Burmese, Burmese, like, yo, you, you know, you're acting like it, you know, the word. And it was okay to talk about it because everybody was talking about it because we tried to, we think that we're better than them. I don't know if you heard about the news about the Rohingyas and Muslims in Burma just got, millions of Rohingyas got pushed out of uh, uh Burma to Bangladesh because military was killing them. You heard about the news? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's all based on racism because Burmese are supposed to be like Buddhist monk, peaceful protest. These people just like get guns and burn down the villages and then they try to push these illegal immigrants out of the 
uh, the country, which is literally parallel to what America's going to, right? Mm. Here's like, you know, mid, mid, no, Mexicans and there it's like, oh, these Indians, you know, like they're illegals, you know, they don't belong in our country, get out of here um, kind of thing, even though they're not costing us anything. So um, even I grew up in that environment where collectively we believe that, oh, it's okay to be racist. So I'm trying to apply that to, you know, how these people think who believe that they're above the law or like it's okay to look down African-Americans, really racially profile them because that's how they, that's the environment they grew up in. That's how they were raised by their parents who believed in these things, which were accumulations of decades, if not centuries of um, racism. And it's, it's a very complex issue where we can't just like say, oh, th these policies will change, these policies will change. No, policies won't change anything. It's racism, you know, it's an issue of the heart where people have to really realize that what they're doing is wrong, right? right. And that's not realistically just Dave Chappelle said, like, can you solve it? Like, oh, can, can they? Like, yeah. it's, it's that the thing. But like you said, it starts with, at least it has to start with something, the accountability. I agree with that. Like, nobody's above the law. No. And the fact that they're getting away with acting out on these violence based because of their racist needs to be held accountable. Um, there needs to be reper serious repercussions on these police officers who are racially profiling African-Americans. And it's not, it's not an easy task to, to, to do, but hopefully it's going to go in the right direction. Um, yeah. And, and like, like I've been saying, you know, it's fading out. Like I'm not seeing any black squares. I'm not seeing any. <laughs> right. And it, you know, it's to your point. Um, I agree. Racism is, a condition of the heart. Racism is something that is taught yeah. or is raised around. Um, and you see that with little kids, right? You see little kids mm -hmm. in all kinds of pictures and that's not them, you know? Like they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're saying. They, they hear it from their dad or their uncle or their parents or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's ingrained. It's, it's taught through generations and it's passed through generations and it's, it's a mindset. But it's one of those things where I think what people need to realize is racism is something that you're never truly going to solve. Mm -hmm. You're not going to fix everyone. No different than you can have the best police force in the world and the best laws in the world. And you're never going to not have some type of criminal. It's never going to happen. You're always going to have someone who is the bad apple mm -hmm. and you need to have, but at the same time, that'd be like saying we'll never solve everyone. We'll never fix everybody. There's always going to be someone who breaks the law. So let's have no laws. What's the point? Anarchy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, when you think of it that way, that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. But to me, racism is no different. Are you ever going to solve racism at its core? Probably not, especially not in the U.S. Because our country, by and large, was built on those ideas. Yeah. From the very beginning, there was always a group of people who felt that they were better than the people around them, whether it was indigenous populations, whether it was Mexican-Americans, whether it was African-Americans. There was always people who were stepped on and looked over, yeah. right? And there was always someone getting something out of it, no matter what. And whether it was, like I said, the indigenous populations, whether it was the slave trade, whether it was um, the Chinese Americans who built the railroad, you can, there's thousands of examples you can find. Hmm. But the very foundations of our country were built on those ideas. And so how far do you dig before you're literally uprooting what this country was built on? And can you accomplish that without the country itself crumbling mm. because you're undoing 
its entire history. Yeah. And so do I think that you can actually solve racism? No. Do I think that that means we don't, we do nothing because that's the way it is? No. Also, no. You're not going to fix everyone, but you can do something. You can do a lot. I mean, the, the civil rights movement did a lot. Yeah. There, we have, we don't have segregation anymore. You know, there were times where I couldn't go to the same bathroom as other people. I couldn't go to the same school as other people. Mm. You know what I mean? The society was completely split solely based on race. And that changed. It took years, it took decades, but it happened, you know? So it's like, can you make a difference? Yes. Are you ever going to find the perfect solution that solves everything? Absolutely not. But that to me doesn't change the importance of trying and doing what you can to build a better society. Yeah. It's just, it's going to take some really smart, driven, passionate people to point the masses in a single direction towards a common goal. Yeah. So how can we, um, how can I, as a friend, keep this thing going, movement going? I think just doing exactly what you're doing right now. I think just keeping these conversations going and asking questions on things you don't know about and, yeah. and doing your best to understand. No one expects you. The thing that I think people also need to realize is no one expects anyone to understand what we go through as African-Americans, no different than I would understand what another race or ethnicity goes through when they are racially profiled in their own way. Cause we all go through it, True. you know? And so like, I can't, even as a minority who is racially profiled myself, it's different mm-hmm. than how an Asian American would be racially profiled or his, in his, uh, Hispanic American or any other, um, combination. We're all treated differently in a poor way and we can't experience it or understand it from experience. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we have to be oblivious to it either. And I think you making the effort to even say, Hey, I wasn't raised around this. I don't know what this looks like. I don't know how to go about this. Tell me about it. Teach me, I think is the perfect way to act about it because there's a difference then between that and immediately going, Oh man, that's terrible. I completely understand what you're going through, you know, which a lot of people do. And again, their hearts are probably in the right place. I don't want to undermine Mm -hmm. them trying. Right. But at the same time, they don't understand. And it's almost, it's almost patronizing. Mm -hmm. It's almost insulting because we're kind of like, no, you don't like, thank you. But like, no, you don't, you know? Um, So I think just having these types of conversations and keeping the conversation open and going and, and learning and growing in the parts of society that you don't understand is a huge part of it because it spreads, it continues to spread even in silence. Yeah. And you know, it also has to do with the culture in, in American culture, you know, you don't just invite a friend over to just sit down like this and say, you know, have conversation and eat lunch. Uh, we just like to do our own thing, you know, very individualistic, capitalistic uh, culture. Yeah. Whereas, so we don't sit down and have these conversations and hear each other's stories. You know, everybody has their own stories and, we just need to listen to them and he- hear them out so that we can in hope that we can better understand them. It can, we can better um, serve them and we can be a better friend, you know, and right. that's my intention about doing these, uh, this starting this podcast, just hear stories about everyone else so that I can better understand and I can expand my horizon because ignorance is a bliss, you know, and I believe that everybody has their own unique stories that they want to share. And I just want to give people voice and a platform to, to share about it. And I, I really appreciate that about you because I think one of the things that probably worldwide, but especially in this country, and even I'm not exempt from this, everyone has implicit biases. Yeah. Everyone has things that they think they understand that they don't. Everyone doesn't 
no one likes to feel like they don't know about something. No one likes to feel that they that they're ignorant about something because it brings a guilt factor into it, right? Because mm-hmm. you're like, man, like how could I not know that? But we're there's no way we can know everything. There's no way that we can feel everyone's experience, and it's it's taking that to heart in a way where you do humble yourself and you say, hey, I don't understand this. Explain this to me. Talk yeah. to me about it. And just making an effort to have these types of conversations, I think, is really important. And I think it's something that our society lacks in hmm. a lot. And I can even attest to that myself. You know, um, I should also be better about having these types of conversations because you're right. Everyone does have a different perspective and a different story. And it you can learn so much from every person you talk to if you just are open enough to say, hey, teach me something you know, tell me about this. I don't know a lot about this or I do, but I don't under, I don't know it from your perspective. Mm. So how do you see this? You know? Yeah. Like even I could ask you from someone who doesn't experience this and someone who wasn't raised here, how has the last year been for you with all of, with everything going on? In terms of what? Um, There's so many things that yeah. happened this year. Let's, well, let's keep going with, we can go to COVID in a second. Let's let's keep going with the whole Black Lives Matter thing and the protests and everything. Because that's a lot even from someone who understands, let alone someone who has really no idea yeah, for me, or experience you know, of what's going on. Honestly, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, as a Christian, it really, I see it from a spiritual perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, the story about um, the prodigal son, have you heard about that of course. story? Yeah. You know, the pretty much... Uh, long story short, for those you know who is not familiar with this, um, the, the story in the Bible, pretty much there's an elder son and then a younger son, and then the younger son took all the wealth, and then you know he squandered it, he, and then uh, the o- older son who did everything right and uh, you know stay with the the dad, and then when the younger son comes back, the old the dad took the younger son back, he gave him all the inheritance, and the older son was like, yo, what's going on? You know, um, I had. I, I've obeyed everything. I did everything right. And how comes you accepted, you know, uh, the younger son? And the thing is, uh, so the older son was coming back to the party that the dad was throwing for the younger son. The the dad says the dad was at the, at the door because the young the older son wouldn't come into the party uh, where the younger son was inside. And then the dad said, hey, could, all dad asked, that, do you want to come in? As simple as that. So the story pretty much, you know, is saying that the heaven is going to be like, the racism is going to be huge. A bit, it is a, the main issue about you know being in heaven. Think about it. If you're in heaven, if you have to be, if you have to spend with the person that you hate, you know heaven will be hell for you. If you're a racist, you're not going to go to heaven. I, I'm just being straight up. If you're a racist, you're not going to go to heaven because you go to heaven and you see you know these, let's say you're, you're a racist and you see this particular race that you don't want. It's like oh these, these you know let's just say African Americans right these black people. I don't want to hang out with them issue of hate you know you need to really what i learned from this year is that i need to people need to seek their heart and seek you know understand that hate that you know all god's gonna ask when we go to heaven is like yo do you want to come in and spend time with these people you know Mm -hmm. who looks different than you that's all he's asking he's not gonna ask you what you did you know like how much you paid how much you you know you prayed to to him how much um you gave away, you know, all your fortune, all you can ask is, hey, do you want to spend time with my family? And the Black Lives Matter movement really helped me see that the racism, especially, you know, if you're a listener and if you feel like, you know, you have that, you, you know you're racist, you know, obviously, you know, um, then ask yourself, like, hey, wh- wh- why? You're not better than anyone else. You need mm-hmm. to understand that God loves you 
uh, as who you are. God loves everyone else the same way, you know, like who you're not better than anyone else. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I learned. A very important lesson that, that taught me was like, hey, heaven isn't for racist. Um, yeah. It's a really interesting perspective. I've never heard it put like that, but yeah. I, I agree. I think a story, speaking biblically and from a Christian perspective, that really stuck with me this year um, was the story of the Good Samaritan. Mm. And the reason why is, um, sorry, it's to, um, to kind of point back to my, everyone has implicit biases. Yeah. Everyone has um, things that they don't like in people or things that they're kind of like, uh, to. No matter how amazing your upbringing was, we all have those things. Um, and they are kind of embarrassing and they, they can make you feel some type of way about yourself. But um, we can do it, Black Lives Matter, we can do it based on the election, whatever you want. But mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people look at the Bible and say, how do you apply that to today? Mm. It was so long ago. It was about a different society. It was written for a different society and different cultural beliefs and all this different stuff. What, what does that have to do with me? Right. But you look at the story like the Good Samaritan, where you had um, this person who was on the side of the road and they were be basically left for dead. Right. And you had these religious leaders, I think one priest, one rabbi, and maybe one more that passed by them mm-hmm. and didn't stop, saw him, didn't stop. And the person who was on the side of the road was the hated ethnicity of the day, mm. right? Whether that is a supporter of a certain political group, whether that's a certain ethnicity like African Americans or Asian Americans or whatever. Um, and so then the third person came along and he stopped and he was jewish and he should have hated this person because i might have gotten that mixed up maybe he was samaritan and the person was jewish i don't i'm trying to think of the yeah but essentially he shouldn't have stopped culturally and if the story was read aloud at that time which it was everyone in the church would have been shocked that he stopped to help this person because that person wasn't supposed to be hated um or wasn't supposed to be helped Mm -hmm. right And he helped him and he bandaged his wounds and he took him to the inn and he told the innkeeper, I'll be back in a few days. Mm -hmm. Here's wages to cover whatever he needs. And when I come back, I'll pay the difference. Right. Yeah. We look at that story and we say, man, how could he have not stopped? He's a person who needs help. I would have stopped for them. Even in our own profession, we're medical workers, right? We're healthcare providers. Mm -hmm. We would have stopped. Yeah. Take that person on the side of the road and make it whatever group you have a problem with. Yeah. Even in the last election. Right. Let's say you are a Democrat and you're like, and you're good to everybody else. Make that a Trump supporter. Mm-hmm. Make that someone who's racist against Burmese people. Yeah. Make that someone racist against African-Americans. Would you stop just because they're a person? But to your point, you know, God loves as much as he loves you. Mm-hmm. Just because out of the goodness of your heart, would you stop and help them? Or would you go, they don't like me though. So I'm going to keep walking, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, I sit here and I've thought about this story a lot this year with everything going on. And truthfully, I don't know if I can answer that question. Mm. And I think not answering it kind of gives my answer away. And yeah. I hate for that to even be the reality, but it's hard. Yeah. It's hard because it makes the story real and it makes you go, wait, so that's why that's in there. Mm. You can make it about their culture all you want, but people really aren't that different today that they were in biblical times. We just have a different society, but the problems are the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, 
the um, the segregations and racism and the hate and all these different problems that we deal with are the same then as they are now. We just don't see them that way because we don't apply them to our life the same way. But they're they're really no different. Yeah. Just got to pray for the eyes to see, honestly. Right. So we just, you know, we know, like like, like this screen, you know, we, we try to put these screens and we don't want to see. We only pick and choose on right. the Bible, you know, and then we, we don't we try to ignore all these social issues. But, you know, the Bible is comprehensive. You can't yeah. pick and choose stuff. No. Um, on that note, I think that, that was a perfect ending. Yeah. I think we, we could just call it. And do you have any platform that you want to share? Your social media? Um, I could. I'd have to spell my last name. For my Instagram. Uh, it's okay. But, so that you can spell it so that they can duplicate. check. Okay. <laughs> you had to throw it in there. I had to throw it I in was there. Waiting. Okay. So um, my Instagram for anyone who is interested is T underscore duplication D-U-P-L-E-C-H-A-N 14. Everybody just give Trey a follow. And thank you guys for listening. And I'll catch you guys on the next podcast. Peace.